Ghost of Tsushima breaks records. And some more info on Godfall. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, Mr. Saul Bridges, bringing you guys Lucky Episode 172. So I guess I should say not as always, because uh, just the other day, and this will have to be edited because of the way it was done, uh, I did. I was joined by Mr. Chris Figgs for a The Last of Us 2 spoiler cast. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping to get that edited and up at, by the end of this week, probably a little Friday uh, surprise. Not a surprise, Not I guess. Not a surprise anymore. <laughs> but a little Friday treat, rather, uh, for you guys who have been waiting on it. Um, so, and uh, I was talking to him. I think what we'll probably do is if we do start bringing it back to spoiler cast with me and you whenever we're both playing a game and as you do have time. And since Annie's schedule might be changing, it yeah. might work out better. Who knows? Uh, but for games that you don't play, but me and him both play, we may get together and kind of, he'll be the fill in for whenever you don't, but we'll see. It depends on how people respond to it and how they like it. So let it us depends know. on when games come out too. That is the other, that's the other part. <laughs> when are the games going to actually hit? But with that said, uh, if you want to stick around till the end of the episode, in case this is your first time listening to us, uh, you can find out where you can find us, be it on YouTube or anywhere else. Uh, but we like to start the show off in a nice, friendly, cordial way. And these last two weeks, the answers have been a little less surprising because I think we've both been addicted to the same game. So I'm still going to go ahead and give us all the chance. So uh, what have we been playing? And the, the outside same, of that, what have the, we been up to? The same game. And that's <laughs> The Forest. That game has consumed me. And I actually, I was telling you this Saturday night um, when we were playing the forest coincidentally. Um, I was about to start Ghost of Tsushima, and then I was like, I can't. Because I, I know for a fact I'm just going to get pulled away from the for- by, by the forest. And I'm going to wait until I start winding down a little bit in the forest so I can start interjecting more Ghost of Tsushima than the forest. Yeah. And um, if there's a night where nobody's playing the forest, I'll have Ghost of Tsushima to play. Whereas now I'm just going to play in my world on the forest until y'all hop back on. Um, just because I'm not burnt out on it yet. And, and I feel like there's still stuff we could do and see. So I'll probably start Ghost at some point this week. I did for the first time start playing it. Like I, I, I launched it. and So you bought it. Okay. Yeah, I, I bought it day one. I had to oh, download it. I, I had to download it day one. Um, did you I, pre-order it? No. I, didn't, just, I don't. Just bought it? Yeah, I don't pre-order a digital. It makes no sense. The only thing that digital pre-order does for you is I think you do get to technically... I, actually, I don't know the answer to this. You may. If you don't... If you pre-order, you get to pre-install, which lets you play it as soon as midnight hits. For me, that's never a big But you deal. don't... You're not even up. I'm not, I, don't, I don't stay up that late, and even then, it's like my internet's somewhat... Like, it's 40... What was it? 43 gigabytes, I think, for the full game install? It's something. I, I, I don't It's something remember. around the 40 range. Since I got it physical, I just um, and whatever it was, like it, it, I, I, it probably took my PS4 less than an hour to download that because mm-hmm. my internet. And I launched it, looked at the main menu, and I'm like, it's like Sekiro vibes. And then I backed out, and I was like, I'm done. Yeah, the I'm fact done, that you say now. that because that's of course the two games I've been playing have been uh, the Forest and <laughs> the Forest and Ghost, and definitely because of where I'm at now. And I, I don't consider this a spoiler, though. If you don't want me to say it, then I won't. Um, it's just one small thing that's in the game that is also in Sekiro. One of the defining characteristics of Sekiro as it differs among the other, you know, uh, from software games, grappling hook. Oh, I knew that wasn't the game. Okay, that's what they, I'm saying. Most they used of, it in the game. Play. Most people would have. Okay, yeah, they did. They did. Okay, good. I couldn't remember, and I can't remember 
there's that group of people that want to go into ghost with literally nothing. So I didn't know if, if you had seen that and you're right though. They did show it in the big, uh, the big gameplay thing. So, uh, yeah, once I finally got that, cause of course you can see it, but when I finally got it, I was like, well, this is interesting. It's a little slower and it doesn't have quite as much pull. Cause you know, the grappling hook in Sekiro kind of has like the mechanic of your arm behind it, where when you do it, like pulls you to it with like a, I won't say a motor, but that's kind of what it feels like. Whereas this feels more like a grappling hook. Should be. Yeah, where it's like you throw it, and it keeps your momentum as you keep going, but it doesn't really pull you so much as it just actually has a real momentum that comes from gravity. Um, it's kind of weird, because I actually really liked the uh, grappling hook in Sekiro, even though I I'd call it more like a... Uh, I don't know, because everything gets called a grappling hook, right? But really, I'd almost prefer it to be called like the hook shot. Because exactly. like the hook shot in Zelda is a better name, because it's like, it's not a grappling hook. It's something that has a mechanic in it that can pull you. That's a grappling hook in Halo. I know. <laughs> everything has a grappling hook nowadays. I, I know here soon it's going to be the thing where it's kind of like for a few years, every game having like a bow as one of its main weapons. And like every, every game that was getting shown at E3, like you saw Ellie with a bow, you saw the uh, bow being a bigger point of reference for a shadow of the tomb raider and some other games um but it's going to soon be a thing where it's going to be more novel not to have a grappling hook in your game than it will be to have the grappling hook in your game not that it'll matter i mean the grappling hook could be fun it's just it's one of those things where much like movies you see something a lot in a small window of time for some reason but uh, yeah, that's awesome. Between between ghosts, though, I'm kind of doing exactly what you're talking about. Days where we're not all playing, for the most part, I'm trying to give to Ghost. But I did spend early yesterday um, setting up and kind of really getting moving on my own world so I can start knocking out single-player trophies and experience the game. Because one of the things that we were talking about for the multiplayer is it's, the game is really fun in multiplayer, but the game is a lot less scary, and it is supposed to be like a like a horror survival game a little bit. And that is still true in multiplayer, but to a much lesser extent because you feel like you have other people that have your back. Yeah. Uh, where And you can get revived if you're downed and all that, whereas when you're playing by yourself, tensions are a lot higher. It's a lot harder. People can't warn you. It is a lot harder. So... Uh, I kind of wanted to play it where, and and not that it's like a disparaging thing, but like, of course, we're all playing it and we're wanting to feel like we're making progress when we're all playing it together. So Saul was kind of taking the lead with that by like looking up guides of where to get stuff. And that's cool because Saul doesn't feel like that takes away from his experience. He actually thinks it adds to his experience. But for me... Yeah, that's what I like about that game is yeah. the amount of researching you could do outside of it. Yeah, where, cause I, I, and I get the idea. You feel like you're entrenched in the game even when you're not yeah. playing the game. And that's cool uh, in its own way. But I fair, really like the idea of just exploring all the caves and stuff without knowing what I'm actually doing. And that's exactly what's happening because since I was just following you in the caves... When I get to a cave outside of like one landmark that may make me go, I kind of remember this. I have no clue where I'm going or what I'm doing. To be fair, you've played with Eric and Joe before. So yeah. you know how hard it is to go from point A to point B in any kind of sensible time frame. They're like, y'all are out there by yourselves again. And it's like, yeah, because we said like, let's go like six times. Y'all still haven't eaten your meat. There's still a zombie leg up on the campfire that nobody's eaten. And <clears throat> I'm across the map and, and, and I told y'all, let's go. Like, I get impatient whenever, like, I only get, like, when I get home from work, I, I get home, I shower, I try to eat dinner. Before I hop on, sometimes I hop on, then I'll eat dinner. I have, like, four hours a night to play. I'm not trying to waste 30 <laughs> minutes sitting in our base waiting for everybody to eat their zombie legs. Yeah. 
Except well, Joe. Joe won't eat zombies or, or cannibals. I don't eat the cannibal legs either. I you haven't should. yet. You should. Uh, well, I'm probably going to because there's a trophy regarded to it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to make a separate save for that. It's part uh, you're of a right, though. breakfast. I, when we first started playing because of how crazy they were, and I would, I don't care because it's still fun in its own way, but they're kind of unorganized, it seems. And so they're organized, but unorganized yeah, at the same time. It's like, it's like organized chaos, I guess. Yes. Um, but I would just go off and do whatever it was I was wanting to do. Cause I felt like there was never a, a, a through line with their plans. So I'd just be like, okay, I'm going to go do this because at least I'm in control of my own plans. Yeah. Like and, if it gets done, it's on me. And that's why they're like, well, Saul's or Eric said at least three times. I was like, damn it. Saul's all the way over there again. I'm like, yeah. Like, I'm going to the cannibal camp to get stuff, and I'm like, y'all could have came with me, but uh, I know for sure it'll take me like three minutes to get over there, loot everything, and get back. And we have limited daylight hours to do this all yeah. in. So I'm not trying to do only that in this day. I'm sure you probably know this, but on the off chance you don't, uh, I wanted to kind of look into, out of just sheer curiosity, if sleep could mess up your schedule in that game. And it totally can get out of whack. I, and people don't understand why. They think it's a bug. You're supposed to wake up at the same time every day, but sometimes you wake up and the day bar is just way different. Well, so the the day bar, people think that that's like a time, like a time mechanic, like a clock, but it's not. It's more of this is how long until you can sleep again. Yes, um, because people, you can throw yourself off in, a, in your sleep in a way. Like you can go to bed some nights when it's still day outside and you wake up and it'll be in the middle of the night. Yeah. And if you do that, your sleep schedule is then thrown off. You have to stay up a couple days in order to reset that. See, that's what I had to do is essentially I, – I felt like my day was really short, and I inadvertently learned that all daytime cycles in that game are 36 minutes and night is 12 minutes. Yeah, 36 minutes. And, and we're trying to go and loot three caves and like a cannibal camp, and they're spending 30 minutes at that time standing around in camp with their fingers in their butts. <laughs> Eric and Joe. But the game is fun, uh, and that's part of it. So it's fun experiencing it by itself. But I'm also having a blast with Ghost. I got – got um, past the first act uh, just right before I started preparing for the podcast. How long How long will it take Ghost to beat? I don't know about to beat for sure, but the Platinum is apparently 40 to 50 hours, and this seems like a game that wouldn't have a ton of post-games, so I'd say probably 35, 30 to 35 hours, depending on how you play. I'm just curious. Because Tw- 21 hours? If you just really nail story. it down. Yeah. Uh, main and extras is 37 pretty much. Completionist is 55, so Platinum is 55 hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Because the thing is, like with these type of open world games, if it, if they're done right, you shouldn't feel weird about... You should feel encouraged to go off and find something and just explore it. But also, and this is what I really love about this game, you shouldn't feel like you're being punished by not going... Uh, you should buy from going and doing the next thing that you want to do. This actually kind of ties back into Spider-Man, what we were talking about, where it's like, I just want to be able to immediately choose to go do the next thing yeah. if I want to. And it forces and this game you has that. into something. Yeah. It forces you into something else. Whereas what I like about this game is that Spider-Man, Spider-Man was great in terms of exploring, but at the same exact time, when a, when a story hook pulls you, you want to follow with that hook mm-hmm. and go into that storyline. Yeah. What I like about this game is that it seems that the, actual overworld is in depth enough and immersive enough that some people are saying that they are intentionally avoiding the story just so they can go do other things. Well, cause there's other tales in the game. So you can yeah. go and just explore, you can find side quests, you can find, uh, like exotic tales that give you uh, armor bits that you can get from it or teach you techniques that you can go through and kind of hear and learn history of the, of the world. It's, it's really cool. I like how they're doing it. And I guess my big thing is, um, 
having not ever been just a humongous Assassin's Creed fan, I think one of the benefits of the oldest style Assassin's Creed, and then there's a couple other games, of course, that kind of have this set up like Far Cry um, in the past, where none of the world's closed off to you, really. Yeah. Because you're not level locked anywhere. And the problem that I have with the newer Assassin's Creed thing is that level lock. So for me, this game is the perfect answer to that. It feels a lot like what you'd expect from Origins or Odyssey, but without locking you out of anything. Uh, and pretty much uh, I just realized today because I'm, I've been playing the forest, which is nothing. And they're kind of similar in the weirdest of ways. <laughs> I know that makes no sense, but they are. I found myself, you have times where you've got to squeeze through cracks and, um, and ghosts. And I find myself trying to hit X to do it because that's how you squeeze through cave cracks in the forest. And it's, it's not the same square. button. It's, it's R2. <laughs> R2 oh. is essentially your interact button and ghosts. So, uh, with that though, I've, really loved that there is no feeling that I'm having to stop what I'm intending to do to just go do whatever they think I need to do to be able to move forward. And I personally much prefer that. I know some people really like the idea of level locking you and being like, Hey, you've got to go experience all these side quests before you can continue. But I want the option to do either. I want to either the freedom, yeah. fly through the main story with literal, no interruption. If I don't want there to be, or explore without ever touching the main story. Yeah. And uh, Assassin's Creed kind of keeps you from doing that too because areas will be level locked. And if you wander into an area where you're not a high enough level to defeat the enemies, you can't really do anything. I love So it constrains that, you. I love games that have those areas, but at the same time, they're completable uh, at an early level if you're just skilled enough or if you get good enough. Well, and I think that Ghost has that, I should say. Ghost has areas where you're going to face enemies that have that are higher grade of enemy. It's not that they're leveled as much as it's like you'll see that like they're the way that the lore kind of pulls it off is like they're a more skilled soldier, higher rank and file yeah. soldier, uh, and you'll see like color of armor change, and that will depend on how much health they have, and then that matters off of what stances you've unlocked, which is also based completely around how you've chosen to play, uh, because you unlock stances by killing leaders. Are observing leaders. So the more leaders you kill, the quicker you unlock all the stances. The stances that you can click, uh, flip through, there's four, you can use to actually be better at taking down an enemy class like swordsmen or shieldsmen or spearmen and or archers, whatever it is. Uh, and then what you do is mid-game, you hold R2 and then choose the, the class you need to go into. So it's um, kind of like Neo in that aspect, too. Yeah, exactly. It, it feels a lot like if you mixed Neo with like an Assassin's Creed Far Cry world where there is no level, like original Assassin's Creed Far Cry where there's no level lock. But there are definitely more challenging enemies. But if you just are skilled enough, you don't even need the other stances. Like they're definitely beneficial and make it easier. Uh, but I found that I've spent none of my upgrade points, of which I have like 12. Uh, and I just realized today. So I did a duel that I could have probably done a lot better in. That so. happened to me in Days Gone. Like, where I, like, I, it said upgrade point unlocked. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot I had these. When yeah. the menu, I'm like, I had like eight. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Since the forest doesn't have any kind of skill tree, I was, I, and I've been playing them so equally, kind of. I've maybe even been playing the forest more. It just feels like I just completely forgot. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's cool so far. I really do enjoy the game. Um, so moving on, and I meant to pull those up and totally didn't. The community's but take. We're going to move into the community's take, of which I know. So while I'm getting these things ready, I'm going to go ahead and say that. Uh, we were talking about last week, of course, that we got to get hands-on time with the DualSense. Uh, it's so hard to not want to say DualShock 5. Uh, and with that, kind of what do you think about it now that we've seen it? 
barring the ability to go literally hands-on with it, which I do think will be the real change of opinion. So over on Discord, first one we have is Atlas Unchained, one of our patrons. He says, I wish the buttons were colored. I'm hoping for stability. There are a lot of more moving parts this time around, and as long as it's fairly sturdy, I won't have a problem. Um, I don't think there has ever been a console where the controller wasn't sturdy. Was there? Uh, I want to say... Like, out of the box, a controller that felt like garbage? I'm trying to think. Uh, okay. Technically, it didn't feel like garbage, but because it didn't have anything inside to kind of add to the heft, uh, the PS3 launch controller, when they had the lawsuit that made them unable to launch the system with the DualShock 3, they had to settle that before they could actually come out with a DualShock 3 like 8 to 10 months, maybe into, maybe even a year into the console's life cycle. So it was called the 6-axis controller. Yeah, that was it. I remember that. And they were, if you held it up to the light, you could see clear through the handles. And it oh, made the controller super light. I have one, uh, if you want to see it. There it's you. the one that came with my original PlayStation. Um, and it's... It's weird because if, if you put it in your hands and then you put a, no, a normal DualShock 3 in your hands, you're like, whoa. I don't know that I'd say that it doesn't feel sturdy because like, I don't think it like creaks or anything. But because of the fact that it has no heft, it feels fragile. Yeah, or just cheap maybe. Yeah, it kind of feels like when you buy a controller, and I guess that's what it is, right? Normally on PS2 when you buy the off-brand super cheap controllers that went for went. Shock. Mad cats. Yeah, so you'd be, you'd get the one that was as cheap as you could, and it didn't have any kind of uh, dual shocks in it. So you'd just be like, "Oh, okay." Or have you ever seen the ones where they had a single shock, so it only had in one of the handles a vibration no. motor? I've seen that, and it's super weird because it makes it. It's like it's not an even thing because it really vibrates. It's all probably on side. heavier on one side. Then. It is. It yeah. is. It's terrible. So, um, but yeah, I do think you're right. Um, to that end, though, I think some controllers do feel more sturdy than others. I think the DualShock 4 is a very sturdy-feeling controller. Um, and honestly, I'd argue that the past few generations have really been able to kind of nail that down. I mean, clearly the Xbox, the very first Xbox, the Duke is a huge, really solid controller. Yeah, it's really solid. It's really sturdy. <laughs> um, it's could, hard to think of very You could probably many... use that as a card jack and just use it as like a, a stone to, to put behind your wheels. It won't roll out that way. <laughs> If I had to say, like probably the controllers that felt the the most, and it's partly because of their form, it's partially because of their form factor, is like the original NES and SNES controllers, where they were more like a flat piece, so where they, the curvature came on a flat plane the instead of giving depth. NES controller, I would say, is really sturdy, but then the SNES controller was not. That was a really creaky. Well, but even then, that form factor gives no extra depth, so you don't have rigidity on the outside. So I feel like you could torque it with your hand while trying to play and getting intense and it would give a little more maybe it's been a long yeah. time since i put my hands on a nes controller now if i had to say this is the only controller i can think of in recent memory it's not technically a controller it's it's the entire system i feel that way about the switch and i get it it's it becomes part of because of the form factor they oh, wanted to have how creaky and it's because they have there's it's not fully connected i mean it's sliding on a rail yeah so by nature, it has to give. Now the switch but it feels light, weird. The switch light is probably the most sturdy handheld I've ever held in my hands. Like it's it's one of those that like I'm I'm not saying no. It's it's fine. It's sturdy and it fixes the problem with the switch. But I do think that that system doesn't. And, and I don't know what it is. It, it and it's actually also true of the of the Vita Slim a little bit though. It still feels really sturdy. I feel like the original Vita because they used metal framing and everything, which makes it a little heavier. But it it is hands down the most st- in my hand like whoa because even the original PSP being majority plastic yeah it, was, it felt like you could 
Yeah, it, you, it still felt good. You could, yeah, but yeah, I, and uh, I haven't played a ton with the Switch Lite, but that day you let me play yours. It was, it definitely was like, oh, this is way better than the Switch. But it, it feels like a higher, higher quality product it in does. your hands, which is by, crazy. By far, by far. Um, let's see. Rude Days ninety three says, "I still have two big questions about the controller. One, what is the battery life? Are all these new features going to drain the battery faster?" The second is the built-in microphone. Is it necessary if I'm wearing headphones, which I mostly do, and is it picking up what I'm saying and what's going on around me? And then he gives an example such as kids yelling, dog barking, etc. Yeah. That's a question I do have, too. Is this microphone going to have some kind of noise cancellation, and is it going to be off by default? I don't want to play multiplayer games where I just have to mute everybody because they're leaving that mic on. Yeah, I think that this is going to be very akin to, and I think we partially know that because of a statement by Sony in which they came out and said, uh, this will be great for a quick, like if somebody invites you and you you just want to hop in and quickly chat with them uh, and because you're going to go, like maybe you invite me to a party and all I do is (sighs) hop into the party real quick and say, hey man, about to get off, but I'll be back on later. I'll shoot you an invite whenever I get back on. That way you don't have to reach for a headset or something. Yeah, exactly. It just kind of cancels out that. And of course it gives the ability to, and it's only going to be first party, but it gives the ability to use the microphone for things like wind manipulation for more kid-friendly games like Tearaway and stuff like that. that Yeah. want to use it. Uh, But, I, I think the, it's going to be akin to the camera, the PlayStation camera. Which is terrible. And the reason I – well, I mean in the way that the system functionality looks at it. That camera yeah. is by default muted. And whenever you join a party, if it if it recognizes that you don't have a headset in or on, it says, hey, you don't have a mic. If you want to use the mic on the PlayStation camera, go into your settings and unmute it. And it's in your quick settings. So it serves the same purpose of the controller's microphone in that it gives you a quick way to not have to reach for a headset or plug it in, but you have to dig through a menu real quick. I think if you just naturally have it on the controller, it's a better version of that, and it's probably going to be a better microphone because it's right here instead of being on top oh, of your yeah. TV. Um, That's so the microphone it's still Chris, a good question, though. Chris is main microphone, and it's not a, it's not a main microphone. Phone. Yeah. Um, uh, now, part on that, two though, battery. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say, I, I, I am very curious about how much haptic feedback will drain the battery. Um, the Joy-Con batteries undocked from the console mm-hmm. weren't fantastic if you were playing a game that used heavy vibration like Thumper did. Um, I can imagine it being something similar, if not a little bit better, but also. Something to take hope in is that even if, say, with all these new features, it's still the battery life of the PS4 controller, it uses USB-C, which is way quicker charging than micro USB. So at least we have that going for us. So my thing on battery, and I'm curious, it doesn't mean they're going to do this, but switching the haptic, the way that haptic motors work, definitely in phones, which is a good thing to go off of, haptic motors are smaller and they're little pill-shaped things that essentially vibrate within a thing and that... Because of that, and because you can have more of them, you can change where the vibration's happening, how it's happening. Yeah. Whereas the problem with DualShock is it's massive. They have to go down on the handles, and they spin because that's the only way they can get it. And they're very classic rotary vibration motors. Exactly. And so when you think about how much room they take up with the controller, within the controller, you only have behind the main front touchpad, and it was the same on the DualShock. You only had behind the middle part of the controller to put the battery. Uh what would be really cool for them here, personally, and I would really hope that they do this so it does bring the price up because it's what battery always does, um, with their ability to line the outer shell with all your haptics and even maybe through the center, you know, you can line it across more places. 
it moves that from being inside of the handle, taking up the entirety of the hollowness, and it moves it to like the walls because that's where the motors are going to be. Um, that would leave extra space. So if they were smart and maybe even did it to where there are three batteries, because you wouldn't be able to do it with one battery because of shaping. Yeah. But if you can put a main battery that is behind the center touchpad and then two batteries that go down into the handles and then have them all connected to the same thing, that would be a huge way to boost what you're doing from a how much charge you can hold. And I really hope that that's what they do. That would definitely come with what I would imagine to be probably a $10 price increase on the controller. But I personally think that because you get one with uh, with pack-in anyway, yeah. I think I'd prefer, not everybody will, but I think I'd prefer the controllers to go $10 up so that when you buy one, you know you're getting one that has a good battery. Yeah, me too. So I would po- I'd fully pay that price. But USB-C is a great in-between, at least if nothing else. You'll be able to hook it up, charge it probably within 10 to 15 minutes because it's, you know... When I, I should look up what the battery size on the DualShock 4 is. Like, what? how many milliamp hours is it rated for? Is it like 1,400? I don't think it's even that big. It seems like, well, maybe it is. Um, I'll go ahead and answer another one, though, while yeah, you do that. Uh, the Snow Jedi, one of our good buddies and patrons, he says, I'm hoping that the buttons have LED lights in them so that you can change the color. And I hope the battery lasts a little bit longer. The LED lights would be curious. I don't know if I would like that. 1,000 milliamp hour. That is a little bit less than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Just for a reference, a lot of phones, like the OnePlus 8 is like 4,500 milliamp hours. Yeah. Uh, Think about that. But, yeah, so like LED lights, I could see that uh, the light bar still having an LED light and making an RGB or something, so you could customize the color on it, uh, which would be cool. But anytime I see controllers and the individual buttons light up, it reeks of a cheap to me. Make it makes me think of those afterglow controllers or the Mad Cats controllers that have the lights in them. Mm-hmm. I am not a fan of that. Um, I also feel like that would be pretty detrimental for battery life, in inclusion to what everything else this controller already has. LEDs are pretty power efficient, and if you do move up from much higher than a thousand milliamp hour, like let's just say you double it, let's say you double to That'd a be impressive. And actually, I'm going to answer that question too. Because uh, one of the things that you can do, and I don't really know what it is, and that's crazy. It must be a battery of the form factor because the PS3 apparently has a smaller Ooh. milliamp hour. But there are people who find that when you put the PS3 battery from a DualShock 3 into a PS4, it lasts longer. It could be that the sale in the battery in the PS4 controller is just cheaper and that it, it dies quicker. Yeah, I wonder. And it was an effort to do a cheaper battery that was bigger, but because they were trying to keep costs down due to the inclusion of a touchpad and all these other things. Yeah, because when you look at it, it's probably that and it could be that the sale in that battery there is a different sale and that it, it utilizes stuff like the touchpad and stuff. Or maybe there is an aftermarket way. PS3 battery that has the same size, but... Uh, same physical footprint, but that's pretty hard to do because it. That's yeah. also. That, I don't know. That's interesting. You would think that Sony would have some form of DRM on their controllers for that too. No, you can totally put uh, aftermarket batteries and everything because you guys think whenever it goes to whenever you go to buy, you can buy an official Sony battery. Or you can buy after the Pandora's battery scandal for them. That's kind of shocking. <laughs> well, yeah, but I don't think you can really hack a controller. It'd be it'd be crazy if someone ended up learning how to hack into a PS4 by hacking into the controller first somehow. That's the new. Sony. But there's no firmware on the 2020 controller. 2020's done yet. That's the new Sony hack of 2020. This isn't the Xbox One. There's no firmware in the controller. <laughs> That's a cool. It's, it's it's such a cool idea, but like it, why? Like well, I remember when I first saw it. Like it, it feels high tech, 
But it feels pointless because I've never updated my controller and been like, oh, yeah, my controller is better. <laughs> I don't, oh, yeah, more stable. <laughs> yeah, it's all that stability. This vibration motor kicks a little harder today. Uh, let's see. I, I like the general idea, though, and I think actually someone else said that uh, elsewhere about the idea of the buttons themselves having LED in them. And when you move to that clear plastic, there's a way for you to do it that doesn't feel cheap and feels more like an RGB keyboard. But it, there's a line that they'd have to be careful. Are you talking about actually putting switches in, like mechanical switches into the controller? Because some fight pad controllers do that. I mean, I guess you could. I really just mean that because of the way they're doing them, if you did it right and only had the light underneath with very little bleed, it'd be really cool to have it to where essentially the LED comes up, you have it non-opaque on the sides but just opaque on the top. That way the light can shine through without giving you bleed because bleed is what would make it look cheap, and that's what the things like the Afterglow controllers have. Or have So if you it, can control it where it's hyper-controlled and have yeah. it come in, I think that'd be really cool. And then that would let you do the thing of coloring the buttons with the LED. So you could have the X look blue. And these are going to be single LEDs. Only the X, though. Like, have, like, the actual controller or the button white. But then the symbol yes. itself is what it was what yes. lights up. Blue. Exactly. That's what I mean. That way it's, it's controlled and you have that look. Because I've seen people do it with custom controllers, and I do like the way it looks. But you got to be careful because Wonder. you can do it too much. Um, but, all right, uh, that's over on Discord. Let me hop on to Twitter real quick and pull some from there. Um, since I was ill prepared when I came in here, I like Sean Juanillo's controller on the or, uh, answer on that. He says, "I still don't like the name." <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I mean, the Dual Shock is a legacy that's interesting because I do think I agree that there's no reason for it to have to move. But I guess it is. I guess the reason that you go and feel the need to do it right is that the Dual Shock One, the original, all the way to the Dual Shock Four use a basic same motor that we've been using in controllers for 20 years. Yeah. And when you finally are moving to something that's entirely different, calling it the DualShock kind of feels disingenuine to me because it's not the same technology. The thing that the DualShock 4 makes sense for is it is the same technology they've always been using, but now they're doing something entirely different with it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it is it is what it is. I don't hate the name, and I get what they're trying to go for. It. I just think that the way they're going about saying it could potentially reek a feeling like they're trying to have the name feel gimmicky. That's going with the right idea. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's true. I've seen some that are pretty cool, but yeah, <laughs> that's no fate. One of our patrons, he says, still don't like the name. What's wrong with DualShock 5? Uh, but over there, Matt Green says, a controller is a controller. Just because this will vibrate differently won't make much difference to me, laugh out loud. And that's the, that's the question of the hour, right? It's it's really easy to sit here and just and well not even fool yourself like to convince yourself that while this may feel a little different, there's no way that this can be massively different. And I have that thing in me too, but I have that other side of me that's trying not to be jaded. That's like, what if when I get this controller in my hand, it is literally crazy different? Yeah. Not and now of course I'm I err more on the side of trying not to get my hopes up like that and just still take it for what it is. I'm sure it will be better. How much better is the is the question? Yeah, like I think that no matter what, even with the features, even if the features aren't used, I still think this will be a superb controller. But with, with that in mind, Chris Boers on Twitter actually also brings up something interesting. He says, "Nice, but it would be better without the extras. They won't be used after the first few games, anyways." Which is a is a spicy take, but honestly, with Sony's track record, it's 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 a it's very predictable. Well, it's it's not entirely wrong, and that's I mean it's kind of unfortunate, 
but it's it's true to an extent. Now, not all the way. I think the better way to word it, if I was going to be the here, is that you'll only get to use them once every three years on their first party titles. First party much. titles. That's yeah. that's what I was going to say too. Is that the only guaranteed use is first party? And the reason I bring that up is a conversation Saul and I had while playing the other day on the forest uh, was that the console version of the forest only lets you assign and map items to two buttons because you are limited on control. Yeah, just the two. But in and on the PC, you have like the first four or the first five numbers on your keyboard to map things to. Yeah, I think it's time. And you were probably looking up. You said six. You said you could do it through one through six. It might be six, thing. yeah. So my answer to that, which of course takes a little bit of extra work and it makes it exclusive to the PS4 version, but at least on console, I think a good way you could do that is something that I think Ghost of Tsushima already showed me, as well as games like Kills on Shadowfall, is that you can map functions to the swipes of the touchpad. I wonder. See, I wonder how hard that is. I uh, wonder how hard knows? that is for a developer I mean, to yeah. do because you feel like I feel like you would see that more often in smaller games and you don't. Yeah, and, and it seems like a very easy solution for complaints for your game to be fixed, but at the same time, it's like that could be something that's very hard to do, or or might be very expensive to code, and they don't just they can't do it, or they won't do it. I think it's just the incentives not there. Since it's say that you have a game like The Forest, right? You have it on PC, which can't use that feature. You have it on Xbox, <clears> which can't use that feature. You have it on P- PS4. It's the only one of three, so you're doing a very hyper specific thing. You're probably right, though. It has to be that it's either at least complicated enough that they just don't feel like sinking the time into a specific feature or I mean, I don't know. Cause it's like I, every game that has used it. I've really loved when they've used it. Uh, really? I'm going to say every game that's used it has used it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I will love, say it, it's kind of overly annoying in some games. Like I cannot stand in days gone the way it's used in days gone. Do you remember how it's used in Days Gone? Like how you have to swipe to get to certain menu. menus? I don't like that. Just let me hold R1 to, or hit over my... like. You I, can, though, can't you? No. You I, can't. I swear there's a way to do it without the touchpad. It's there, just you it, can do the touchpad. It doesn't tell you if, if there is. Like I, I'm pretty sure when it tutorialed, it did. Uh-uh, because not, I only used it... Because it's like did swipe it. up to go to the map or whatever. Or I might be getting... But once you're in swipe. the menus, you can change while you're in one menu without swiping again. Oh, see, I don't know how you can yeah. do that. See, uh, I would use the swipe and I swipe... Days Gone is a good example to me of how it's used well. I would use the swipes if I wanted to immediately get into one menu. So it was like, well, if you want to be in the map, swipe... And I don't, this is not exactly what it is, but if I wanted to be in the map, swipe up. If I wanted to go immediately to my inventory, swipe but right. The problem with that is you stuffed in options to go to that. You can't just swipe up to automatically take you to that menu. I thought you could. No. I mean, I mean, you you very well could, but like, I have never been able to get that to work. I have never been able to all my controller swipe up. I wonder if that's up. a feature in options that you can because I know oh, I know it is. I know you can turn it off. Maybe maybe is it off by default? I, I didn't think so, but it might be. Okay, what might have happened is it may not have been off by default at launch, and they may have changed that with an update maybe, because maybe Blake. So. I remember Blake turning it off because he said he would because of the way he holds the controller. Yeah, Blake reason, holds his controller is weird. He would accidentally swipe it. The, uh, Blake, correct me if I'm wrong. If you if you're still listening, but I'm pretty sure you put your thumbs like almost together on the controller like this, where the analog sticks like down here. Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like, I think that's how he holds them, like, where the analog, instead of your analog stick being in the pad of your thumb, it's down near the joints of your thumb. Unless it wasn't him, but I'm 99% sure no, it No, I think that is, Blake, because I think I we remember were talking you... about playing Sea of Thieves, and I made fun of him for that. I'm like, why are you playing like that? <laughs> You're getting arthritis in your thumbs. I, I remember we were playing something. Maybe it was Division. <laughs> I don't or, know. Or no, that would have been Ryan. But, yeah. um, but see, this, this creates an interesting conversation about this, too, because you think about it this way. There are so many games that don't utilize the touchpad for that. Just because they're multi-platform games and they're smaller games like this, yeah. how many games are going to utilize the SSD? 
and the PS5 to have its yeah. full potential. Yeah, and, no, to its full potential, same thing. And people, people, it's just going to be primarily used by. Yeah, uh, you have games that are going to be using the SSD. I think all games well, are going to use the SSD. That's why I said to full extent. But to yeah, to the full extent that Sony is designing it for, it is going to end up being things that are first and second party games. Because my yeah, my thing is is like less than a second for Spider Man loading. That's that's Sony's SSD. But then I've heard people say like four seconds. I'm like, that's a normal SSD speed load time. Like that's that's something I do on my PC every day. Sure. If I'm playing Dark Souls, yeah. Um, it kind of makes me curious as, as to like who's all like what's all going to happen because people say like they're they're gonna they're not going to develop for that because that realistically the way developers who want to get a game out typically do they go with the lowest common denominator mm-hmm. and develop. With with everything that game that console has in mind, and that's the Xbox. Yeah. So that's what I'm kind of worried about is that they're going to go with that. But we'll we'll get back on topic. Um, but yeah, going towards that, I just like the basic idea of that because I feel like one of the ways I, I feel like it's a gross misuse, and I get that it's because no one else adopted it. But it's a misuse of actually putting more inputs onto a controller, which is exactly what the touchpad did. The fact that it could have just been a touchpad with no swipe response, it could have just been that you touch it. Because yeah. it's been a huge button that's just easy for you to touch. Or kind of how it is now where it's, a, it's two buttons. Or, or that's in split way. in half, yeah. yeah, where you can click it and it's just sensitive on one side, kind of like a trackpad yeah, that's on your controller. Actually, I've never, I never really thought about that. that is, it's, it's all it is is really a tra- trackpad. Yeah, it's a trackpad <laughs> on your controller. And actually the great thing about it is when you're using DualShock, excuse me, when you're using DS4 Windows, which is a Windows thing that emulates the 360 controller. That I can plug never in, get to properly work right. I use it all the time, but Blaze, Blaze apparently had a similar issue. Um, I would have it set. It's autom- I think it's automatically set where you can use the touchpad as a trackpad. You can move the mouse with it. That way, when you need when games have it, to where for some reason they pause, you still end up having to use the cursor, and you tap you tap it once or you tap and hold for it to go to right click. I had to look up a guide because it worked. Like I I plugged in my PlayStation Four controller. What's cool is, is it actually allowed me to change my light color or my RGB or my light on the light bar. It worked for a while. Then I went to go do it again one day, and then it didn't work at all. And then I had to look up a guide. The guide's resolution to fix that was to recalibrate every single button on the controller. And I'm like, that's going to be easy until you realize you have to calibrate like 50 directions on each analog stick. I'm like, no, (laughs) not going to do that. But going back to the touchpad itself, games like Shadowfall and and most recently Ghost of Tsushima, for those who are playing it, they have it to where you swipe white, uh, you swipe up, sorry, white. <laughs> uh, it's just my speech impediment and right. But you swipe up for the guiding wind, you swipe left to play your flute, you swipe right. Without having to go in any menus. Yeah. Without- okay, see, that's cool. See, like Days Gone and this, once again, it could be a setting. Well, it seems pointless to hit a menu then just to, to to hit a menu and then to take my hand off the controller to go to somewhere go, else. Yeah, no, that is a What I could just do with my right or my left hand. Yeah, I definitely know that you could swipe into the menu the way you want. That I way to, you get it done. I need to look at that when I return back to that game because that would actually help improve, especially the map aspect. If I'm wrong in that, someone please tell me, but I'm, I'm telling you, I remember it because I, I thought that was a useful feature. Because it is dumb. Once you're in the menu, why would you want to swipe? Yeah. But to get to a menu immediately, yeah, just whoop, that was great. Uh, but Kills on Shadowfall is another example where they had your owl, your big companion that's with yeah. you, a little robot, and you could tell it swipe right to become a flanking shield. It would become a shield that goes around you. If you wanted to do a, a zip line, you'd swipe up and it would shoot a zip line. Not only that, but Kills on Mercenaries on the Vita used the back touchpad for assassinations. You yep. swipe down, which was actually really easy because you didn't have to move at all. You just 
They're like yeah. that, and you're done. Yeah. So I think it can totally be used well, but the problem is, is it primarily ends up being used by first party. And I'm glad it does, because at least you get some games that make you feel like the justification of it being there. You do have some third parties that use some of the extra features like the light bar in not necessarily useful ways, more than just interesting ways. Because uh, you have like Grand Theft Auto where when the police are chasing you, the light like, shakes yeah. red and blue. Does, it, does the forest cool. use a light bar at all? I don't think so. Uh, well, Though we could probably look. Um, I think that once Sony kind of caved and gave the ability to dim the, the light bar, it becomes less noticeable until they finally made the controller where you can see through the line on the front, which is we see in the dual sense where it comes through and just on the shapes around kind of, the side. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Yeah, which is a better setup for it. But it would be cool. I like it, but it does – I guess the basic problem with the, with the promise of the light bar – when you're not using it legitimately directly in gameplay, like something like Until Dawn does, uh, where you have to hold your controller still and you can see the light bar and how it moves within a window. Um, outside of that, it requires you to look away from the game to get the information that the light bar could give you. And that is inherently not what you should be doing when you're gaming. <laughs> you know, That's like true. games should be trying to make sure that your eyes are constantly on screen rather than being distracted. Keep your eyes up here, not down there. It's kind of what I was talking about with Destiny when they're like, hey, you just picked up a Grimoire card. Now pick up your phone and go to this website so you can read this Grimoire. It's like, why would I do that? You're wanting me to stop playing your game to go look at something else? That's true. Our good buddy El Jahudi. Love that name. I love it. He says, he, he hits us with the real truth. One of our patrons. He says, ever since, or every controller since the original PlayStation have never disappointed me. So I assume this one will not disappoint, which is some valid truth there. I think it is too, yeah. Something could always disappoint you from a company that you love, but I don't think, I hope, I'll say this, I hope it doesn't. Because <laughs> bad controllers really suck. They do, but. Like the small Xbox original controller sucked. I could not stand it. I was a Duke boy. I had to have the Duke. <laughs> Oh man, you know, you know how the Duke was like so much like the dual, uh, the, the the Dreamcast controller. I mean, like to to almost a T. Uh, but I hated the dual. Was there ever a small Dreamcast controller? No, not to my knowledge. I didn't like the dual cast. The, the dual cast. Yeah, dual cast. <laughs> the Dreamcast, Dreamcast controller? controller. Yeah, I don't think I. I, I never liked it. I liked the Nintendo sixty four controller, which is like a weird bastardization of that one, and like. Any other bad idea ever created by the video game industry, but <laughs> I, you know, I think I conveniently said when we said there's never been a bad controller there that launched with a system. It wasn't that it wasn't sturdy. The the 64 thing felt like a rocket ship because you, you couldn't break it. I tell you, once you learn how to use that controller, like once you learn how to hold it, it's actually very comfortable. But my first like two hours trying to play, it's not usable because you're constantly doing this depending on what you're doing. No, you just hold it like this. That's it. Unless you have a game that requires using the D-pad a lot, which like I'm thinking of Ocarina of Time off the top of my head where mm-hmm. that kind of just changes your camera angle. You don't have to use that. But I started trying to use that controller by holding it at both edges and then using my thumb for the analog stick. Didn't work that way. <laughs> no, that's a bad idea. Did not work. I think that's my problem is that they put the analog stick directly in the middle. I think if you would have put maybe the C stick in the middle... I don't know because you. I'm so used to 3D games, and that was still the Nintendo's first 3D console. Have you seen? It's that weird, weird to think about not moving your camera at the same time as moving your. Thankfully, most games you know? did follow you pretty well back then, but there were some that did not. Yeah. Did you ever see that weird? It's like a Chinese product. It's it's like a DualShock Four that has been cut in half, and it's meant to be played on PC. So you use a mouse to aim, but then you use this controller for your running and your buttons. 
No, I haven't, but I know that there are, uh, if you really look at it, it's weird. There is a, there was a patent by PlayStation that was basically that idea, uh, where you'd split your controller in two halves, which is kind of similar to what the Switch did. And you know, the Switch has a hoary thing where you can get Joy-Cons that are half of a pro controller. Have you seen those? No. So on the side of your Switch tablet, you have half a controller with a handle and everything. Oh, yeah. And half, and, and I have. It looks amazing. And it, it solves most of the problems I have with the actual Joy-Con themselves, which is that they don't have anything that goes depth into the palm of your hand. Here it is. It's, it's actually made by Hori. I'm not surprised. Oh, I have seen that. I have. Why is it $160? I don't know. It's wild. I did not know that's, that's Maybe, not what I'm thinking it is. I don't know. That kind of looks cool. Either way, uh, yeah, controller discussion is pretty interesting here. I mean, one of the things that Chris goes on to say that I don't quite agree with is it's the same as with the SSD, Ratchet and Clink will use it as a gimmick. Maybe a few more, but that's it. Just reduction load times other than that, and I'm fine with that is what he says. I don't quite know that I would use the word gimmick in regards to Ratchet. I think the thing is that Ratchet used it as a design inspiration. It's not that it's a gimmick. It's that going into the game, they thought, here's this. What could we make that would utilize this, but without feeling gimmicky? Because naturally, I think another great example of that was Tearaway on the Vita, where it's like, how do we use all of the Vita's touch, uh, or all the Vita's input options, while having a game that feels like it was made with these in mind, but doesn't feel gimmicky because of it? Instead, you get games that used it, but felt gimmicky because of it, because they weren't entirely designed with that in mind, rather than them being tacked on. That's where a gimmick comes in. Yeah, that's true. I think true. if you look at something like... I want to say Unit 13 maybe had one. I'm trying to remember. There's, I know there's plenty of games on the on the Vita that was like, well, we're going to map this just to the touchscreen or the back touchpad because you could. Great example. It wasn't required, so I, it technically was a gimmick, though thankfully not one that re- was required. And I actually thought it was cool. Uncharted Golden Abyss. You could climb up ropes and vines by swiping your fingers in like the cadence. That. Yeah, I did not, not like wrong. that. It wasn't the ideal way to play it, but as no. a sheer idea and seeing it happen, it was cool. You know what I mean? That was one of those like, oh, that's kind of cool. You can do that. And then you try it and then it messes up just once because you messed up. You just blame <laughs> it on that. And you're like, I'm never using that again. Now, then you have things that it's aren't like as gimmicky. It's like the gyro angle. No, the gyro aiming is... Uh-uh. That's not a gimmick. I love it. And no, I, it's, I'm I, not saying it's a gimmick. It's just terrible. No, it's great. No, I could never get used to that. No, nope, I loved it. Absolutely. And someone else mentioned that they wish they wished the Switch had it and that normal controllers would have it. And I have to agree. What's well, crazy. Because what's the point of having six axis if you're telling me that you can put in the Vita the ability for me to mostly aim with the analog stick but then quickly adjust with the gyro? Why shouldn't I be able to do that with anything? What's crazy is that Splatoon 2 uses... Actually, probably Splatoon 1 does, too. I don't know. But Splatoon 2, for sure, uses gyro aiming. And that is, like, the way to play the game mm-hmm. if you are playing in handheld mode. But that game, you don't have to be precise at all. Breath of the Wild automatically has it turned on, too, right? I don't remember if it automatically has it turned on or not. It has it. Yeah, I know it has it, which is not surprising. But either way. Um, all right. I'm going to go run over to Facebook real quick, get some off there, and we're going to move on. Mr. Hussein Saeed, I think that's how you say your name, hope it is. He says, I always loved the DualShock controllers, but from what Jeff is saying in the explanation about the DualSense, I think it will be an improvement. But hopefully, if rumors and the Type-C charging, um, I think he misspelled here. I don't know what it is. It may have been just a 
thing. Uh, but something about the Type-C charging, the battery life will be better and will feel very comfortable in the hands, especially since the grips look a bit longer than the DualShock 4. By the way, since I have just released the DualShock 4 attachment, do you think they will announce or even maybe are thinking about doing an Elite-like controller made specifically by Sony for the PS5? And what do you guys think of the idea of something like that with Microsoft doing... Oh, something like what Microsoft is doing with their controller factory thing. I've given up all hope on Sony in that front. Okay. For like for like for the past four years now, all approaching on five, we've seen Microsoft do very cool stuff with their controllers, and we've seen Sony only hire third parties to take care of it for them. So I don't think we'll ever so ever see a Sony branded pro controller. The reason that I I have some half and half here is because while Sony did always hire out. I don't even say hire out. They just license. So they let other people do it. So anybody else who wanted to see, hey, there's a market here for PlayStation that Sony's not naturally tapping into. If we're willing to pay Sony, we can try and break into that market. That's all Sony did. They didn't actively seek out other people and be like, hey, you make this for us. They just said, hey, if you want to make it, great. But you have to you have to license it from us so it's an official product. Right. But I'm saying like even in that time frame, though, that's the most we've seen them done in relations to a yes. controller of this, like a custom but controller. Because... In the, in the sense of a whole controller, you're right. In the sense of them looking and making something that was official, made by PlayStation, that added functionality that most people look for in a controller is that back button attachment. And I think they use that as a thing of like, we're going to make this in-house. It's going to be our product. We're going to sell it, see how people respond to it. Clearly, people responded better than they thought because they've had supply constraint problems. And with that, I think they're looking at that to go, this is a new generation. If the back button attachment did as well as it did, the the uh, essentially the want for us to come in and make a pro controller that's maybe not quite as adjustable as the Xbox controller, but adds back button functionality, maybe something to do with your triggers, and maybe something you can do with your dead zone on your legs, whatever it be, I could see them, and again, it's 50-50. I could see them going either way, but the fact that Sony did not license out the back button attachment and instead did it themselves makes me think that they are at least looking at the market to reevaluate their stance on. See, I don't buy that that the back button is a good, the back button accessory is a good argument for this because they didn't make that because it was a test in the waters because they made that because they know people wanted back buttons. The people have been asking for years now to have pro controllers made by Sony. And instead what they did instead of making pro controllers, and it could be because it's at the end of the generation, but still it's cheaper too. It's, yeah. it's, it's less of an investment for them. It's a less, it's a cheaper item so that people but, are more likely to buy it. But that's the thing it. is that and you can put you it on all your already existing, but controller. you can't ask for a pro controller demand it to be cheap either. You know, no, I get what you're you, saying. You know, if you're getting a pro controller, you're paying a hundred dollar minimum up to like one fifty to two hundred dollars. Yeah, I get, I, I, I understand that. But all I'm saying is, you can test the waters to see how much people like the idea while but making they yourself know people like the idea while less of an heavily less requested. of an investment. They they can look at the sales Nacom did on theirs. They have yeah. two of them out, and Razor has one of them. Scuff has one of them. I never really knew how well they sold though. Oh, I've guaranteed they sold fairly well. You can go. I mean. Um, I'm sure you can go to Amazon. I've never bothered to look because I'm not as big on the idea of a pro controller. My idea, and I guess the one upside, but we're going to go into the exact same thing we were talking about with the Forest right now, is if we do this, if we had Sony out of the gate say we have two extra buttons on our controller, we have back buttons on our controller, right? I look at that as the benefit, the benefit being, naturally speaking, we have two more buttons to map to. Not two more buttons to map other buttons to, which is what the current back attachments are and back buttons on all the controllers are. It's like, do you want to move X to the back? 
great. You can do that. And I think that if you came out with a controller that inherently had those and you wanted to offer the ability for that in games that didn't need them, great. But I think that I would much prefer these two buttons to not be mappable to other buttons, but instead be two new buttons, two more buttons that we can actually use to well, implement the game. That, but, would, that would require every developer in the world to make up two, two new like uses. Yep. Not two new uses so much as there's always games where it's like, we would have put this here, but well, we didn't. If it's a console, but if it's if it's a console developer, because yeah. they're, they're going to use the, both the Xbox One and the PS4 have the same amount of buttons. But that's the problem. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is the problem with doing it is again you're making PlayStation the only console that has those extra buttons, so most people won't use them because the Xbox version, the game, well, let's, let's see, that, the exclusives would use them because the game would need to be made with the fact that the lowest common denominator always has the same amount of buttons. The moment that you bring Xbox in that hasn't added these extra buttons on every controller, well, you, you have a problem. Well, but they, they're more likely to have – the Xbox crowd is more likely to have a pro controller than the PlayStation crowd is, though. I get what you're saying. So that's but the, that's I'm a saying, double-edged sword. Not the, I'm saying if Sony would have made the DualSense naturally with back buttons, which is what some people thought. So the base controller, every PS5 controller has those back buttons. Right. If, if they did that, you'd still get up in the spot where because Xbox doesn't have those buttons – Third-party games wouldn't use it most of the time because only, the Xbox wouldn't have the buttons. So all, you don't want to create. There's there's games that have said like they have to take something out because they don't have enough buttons to map. Uh, it's some reason why games will choose to sometimes forego a jump button and take jumping completely out of the game because they have enough things that they want to map to other stuff. And suddenly you have to deal with. The I fact might that be misunderstanding you, but like if 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 there are two mappable buttons, see that's my that's what I'm saying. I want two new buttons. Mappable. We'll, we'll never and, get two new buttons though. That's the problem. I know because. No, because it would take both of them doing it. Yeah. It would have to be Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo all coming in and saying every controller and everything that we do moving forward at the start of a generation is going to have two extra buttons in the back that Does are it? not mappable except for in games that don't need them. So for first-person shooters that choose not to use them, and if you want to map something over to them, great. But at every other game, you can use them as legitimately two new buttons. I just now realized that they have dedicated functions. The new 3ds and the new 2ds XL had extra buttons on yep. them too. But the only games that could use it were games that were exclusive to the new 2ds or th- new 3ds. Well, yeah, because you have to make a game. Because the problem is that when once you add a button, it's either that you're adding a button that you can just map something to, which is really not special, because then you're just yeah, that's just an extra button. We're yeah, no, it's just no. a, it's an extra button that doesn't have an actual use. Well, to be fair though, that's kind of how most PC games are. Yeah, you're adding like like you want to map this over here to one or something. It's a button that's not you're currently in use at all, but then you have an option through the menu to map it to that button. Which I don't think we'll ever see console gaming do. Yeah, but PC-only games, and there are sometimes games that people say there's no way to bring them to console because there's literally so many things that you have to do that we can't do on a controller because you only have a finite number that's, of That's always weird, too, because I've seen developers take games that require, like Divinity on console is really, really well done from a controller mm-hmm. aspect just from the amount of times you barely touch a button to the amount of times you hold a button to the amount of times you press a button. Yes, but the problem is is that if I'm not mistaken, the DualShock 5, and the Xbox hasn't in general had it, uh, is uh, pressure-sensitive buttons are gone. Most, most, I think every company now no longer has pressure-sensitive buttons, which then, well, that's actually a good thing. You takes ta- away. Well, you take your DualShock 4 up with you. 
Because like, you could use your DualShock 4 in your PS5, I would assume. Yeah, but then that means that only people that have DualShock 4s would be able to play that PS5 game with that No, it'd be able to play the PS4 game on the PS5. So technically... I guess. I mean, it, it's just, again, the problem comes with the fact that it won't be across the board. And that's always going to be the issue. Because a lot of the times, like MMOs are a great example of, of buttons. that You have to have so many mappable buttons. But then Final Fantasy comes and says, well, we're going to make... We're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to hide those and cross. You hit R one, and then then you hit a face button. To be fair, you know what I mean. Like it's not that there can't be clever solutions around it, but they require extra steps. I could be a PC player playing on a numpad. <laughs> <laughs> so like, there's ways you can find things around it. Yeah. You can go buy different hardware. Yeah, that's to. true. Either way, um, I guess I'm going to take one more from Facebook. We'll move on. Uh, Mr. Nicholas Horder, one of our newer people over in the Facebook group, says, too subjective to pass judgment without actually using it first. True. Though personally think they look ugly, so really hoping it feels good. I am of the thing, too, though. I don't really care. I mean, it's nice with a sex- to have a sexy controller, but ultimately, as long as it feels good in the hands, I don't care. Yeah. See, my thing is, is the white. I don't want the white getting dingy. I, or I cloudy in the buttons. So we'll see how that works. It depends on the quality of the, cl- the plastic. Like a good example of a controller that I find endearingly ugly, just so ugly, but it feels pretty good in your hands is the, the GameCube controller. I think the GameCube controller is hideous. Ch- it has charm. But you know what it controller feels good. I think is ugly at like a very, very cosmetic level and not anything else? The original white Xbox 360 controller. After oh, after <clears throat> feels good. two months. Feels pretty good in your hands. If after two months, the analog sticks are worn down. And it has a disgusting grease sheen on it. And I am one. Back then, I would not play my games and eat. And I would yeah. wash my hands before playing with my controller. And but it still would happen. Even with that being said, I think day one, the controller just kind of looked bulbous to me. Like, I just didn't think it was a very aesthetically pleasing looking controller anyway. See, I don't mind the look of the controller. That's why I said white. If it was the black one, I'm all down for it. It yeah. actually looks somewhat better. But yeah, the white one is not my favorite controller in the world. Yeah. All right. Moving on into the news here. The news this week, I think the first thing we're going to do here is actually give a congratulations to Sucker Punch Productions because Ghost of Tsushima has broken Horizon Zero Dawn's record in being the fastest selling new IP on PS4, selling through more than 2.4 million units in this first three days on the market, making another record breaker for Sony, two releases in a row and two months in a row at that, uh, with The Last of Us 2, of course, setting the record for best selling uh, IP just in general, fastest selling IP, uh, not just new or anything, but also hitting another the record of the biggest digital first party launch at 2.8 million units of the last of us two sold during its launch month of june which is impressive very impressive <laughs> very impressive uh so for me one of the things about ghosts is uh performance that i think is really interesting is the one thing that i think horizon might have done even better and if i remember horizon's numbers were really good but uh let me look them up real quick i don't even think they broke a million uh and it's crazy just how much higher these are. So, okay. Horizon Zero Dawn sold 2.6 million in two weeks. Ghost sold 2.4 million in three days. So, one of the things to think about is, if you remember, Horizon came out at the same time as the launch of the Switch, the launch of Breath of the Wild, a highly anticipated game, and a highly anticipated system. So, one of the things that I think happens there is that there was a lot of hype around Horizon, but there was a lot more competition directly around it. To be fair. Whereas Ghost is releasing in a time where there's really not a lot of competition right now. The main competition that came out day of release was Paper Mario, which to, is a more niche. To be fair, The series. Last of Us came out not too long ago. Yeah. And The Forest was on sale for $10. <laughs> so, yeah. 
I think I know where the majority of people spend their money. But what, I, what I'd say is that a month apart is enough for most people to be able to justify spending $60 again uh, yeah. instead of literally the same day. The problem with like the, the Horizon is I wouldn't be surprised if day one people were like, I'm buying the Switch and Breath of the Wild today, and then two weeks from now when I get paid again, I'll buy Horizon. And that's why those sales were more spread out. I will say, though, I wonder if it's in the same boat as like... There's also way more PS4s out in the wild. That's all I was going to say ago. is that back then, I couldn't get a Switch on day one. So like I had Horizon... I think I had Horizon Platinum before I even had a, a Switch. I think you're right. Because I think it took so long to get a Switch. I think me and you Platinum Horizon the very similar time frames. Within a day of each other, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, th- But there's that. And I think the other big thing that's a little surprising here is that going into this generation, a lot of people looked at Sony as the developer that only had third-party action games, uh, action-adventure games. Uh, and... I remember everybody, including me, thinking how crazy it was that outside of Infamous, Sony was going to have, uh, because Infamous isn't an, I mean, it's not really an RPG, but uh, outside of that, it was going to be like, Sony has a first party RPG open world game, which was very unheard of from either side at that point. Most of the first party open world games were things like Crackdown, a kind of zany shooter that really wasn't super hyper detailed or anything like that. Uh, And then you have uh, things like Infamous, which more of it was less on how good the game looked, though they still were lookers, but really more about the gameplay mechanics. Yeah. Um, So outside of that, you see that, but the last three new IP that have still been third part uh, third person camera view being Horizon Zero Dawn. Then you have, and if you really, if you want to put Death Stranding in there because Sony does God own that IP, God of War is not new IP, so that's why I'm, I'm a little. But you are right in that kind it's a very similar though. game. But even then, those are all games that brought in a bunch of RPG elements, if not outright just being RPGs. But I really think the reason I compare these three games is. God of War wasn't truly open world, and it was a little different the way it approached things. It was like linear, but with hubs, and I, I like that. It was a cool setup. So like Lost Legacy, right? Kind of, yeah, kind of. It, it felt more like Lost Legacy to me than the Horizon in terms of the way it chose to do something. But Horizon, Days Gone, and Ghost of Tsushima are all very similar in their gameplay style, and they're all quite different from what Sony is always known for. They're still cinematic. I'm clearly they are, but they're not the the Last of Us or the Uncharted or even the Order. To they're be fair, not the though, same type of game. Sometimes you need a break from those really, really hard hitting cinematic games. Well, and and games like these where the story is still amazing and we're mm-hmm. following, it's not as heavy hitting. It's not as emotionally draining. It's not emotionally. Uh, you're not emotionally attached to the characters in the same way. It feels more like it's a break of a game. Kind of like Nier was, or at least how I started Nier was. Because when I started Nier, about halfway through, it didn't click with me what I was playing. And the, the impact it didn't have on me. Yeah. And God of War was, from the get-go, was like, okay, I know this is going to be one of those games that like I'm going to want to not play anything else at all while I'm playing this game. Yeah. I'm going to want to wear headphones with this game. I'm going to get really involved with this game. Yeah. Where... Days Gone, I'm like, I could play Days Gone and Destiny at the same time. It would be perfectly okay. Yeah. Uh, it's not one of those that, for me personally, I have to be... I could be invested in, but I don't have to invest everything into it because... And this sounds... No disrespect to uh, Bend or Days Gone, but like, it's not a game of high enough quality that I that I feel like it deserves a full attention. Maybe it sounds okay. it sounds really mean. I think the better way for me to describe it, is, and, and, and being somebody who did literally just play it and not play anything else, uh, I'd still say that 
I was with you until the quality thing. Even though I do get no, your the idea. Game, the game, that the game does, it does game. have some shaky, but yeah. I, I guess I'm thinking of quality of like writing and stuff, because you're talking about from a cinematic I know, I'm talking about I'm talking about from quality of the game yeah. mechanics, and it's like the actual glitchiness of the game. Yeah. Because the Which, writing for that game is fine, the story for that game is fine, the character, yeah. everything, everything about that game is good. And what I mean by that is, is in, re- in reality is that I know that this story is not going to be deep enough to hook me so that I would stop paying attention to everything else I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Because I, if for me personally, if I'm watching a TV show and I've never seen it for the, I've never seen it at all, and it's deep enough that I want to keep watching it, I'm not going to watch something else in between. But if I'm watching, say, I don't know, House, Scrubs, Psych, anything like that, where I can easily swap between two, even though there's deep episodes in those shows, it's not always about that show. Yeah, no, I feel... Either way, big difference for them. And the other thing I'd say is, uh, and, and I think you'll probably agree, but I am curious where you stand because you, you also haven't played it. But just from the way it's tracking and people's interest in it, I think this is going to be another Horizon in the sense that it is a, it's going to be a new IP that breaks 10 million. Did you still have an airplane Horizon? No, I said you haven't played Ghost. Oh, okay. I, or if I, if, I may have accidentally misspoke, uh, but I meant to say you haven't played Ghost yet. But I think the game will be like Horizon in that it'll, it'll break 10 million units pretty quickly. So I've learned with Horizon, uh, especially this generation, that like it's, it's good to be more forgiving when it comes to developers' first foray into an open-world game like this because they have the heart for it, and the quality is there uh, in, the actual, in terms of the game quality and the story quality. Uh, it just may not always live up to what you're expecting or mm-hmm. what you what you would know from that developer or from just a first party exclusive. Yeah. Um, and I definitely, that's say actually a better way to go, describe, go say, into like, ghost in that regard. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's uh, that's, that's the better way of like, you know that this is a first party developed game, but you know, it may not be as heavy hitting as other games. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, ghost is not going to hit you as hard as last of us two did. And Which I think is why a lot of people are interested in it because the gameplay is so much different, and you don't even have to be doing the story; you can yeah. just do whatever else you want. It, it's it's a break, yeah. and I think especially right now with everything going on in the world. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'd say as much as I'm loving Tsushima, there are a couple moments where I'm like, "Ah, it's a little janky," like, but I don't care because I'm, yeah. I'm like, "Oh, this is really good in this regard." The same this is thing was like her eyes. I'm like, "Man, this game's good." Boy, is that motion capture bad? <laughs> well, because it was that, that dialogue. For the most well, part, yeah, yeah the, the dialogue is not great. I yeah. still want to play Frozen Wild just to see them use the motion capture because I'm sure it's better than what it me was. Me too. Yeah, me too. All right, next thing up, continuing and celebrating 10 years of PS Plus, Sony is sending random PS Plus subscribers a $10 PSN credit. Uh, be sure to keep an eye on your system notifications because it doesn't seem like they're doing emails for this. It's instead that you go and look in your notifications from Sony and it says that you have it and it automatically is, is applied to your wallet. Good, because um, so, there's one in the million chance that I actually win one of these for once in my life. I yeah. don't have to see it in my spam folder or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what's good about that too is that the uh, summer sale is going on. So if you get that, there's a lot of sales going on that you can apply that towards. So that's really cool of them. Uh, and I'm glad that we're seeing this because I kept kind of thinking like if all they do is just the the month and the games and that was all, I like that they're doing a little bit extra. It's like, okay, we're going to give $10 here. We're giving you an extra game. I'm still hoping and, and that what they do for the remainder of the year for at least the PS4 is that every month you get a third smaller game that's just kind of an extra like, hey, celebrating 10 years still this year. Uh, every game, every month this year, we're going to have two bigger games and then one small game that's like Erica or an indie game. I know? actually had a dream last night. It was my, last night the night before where they gave out the forest as a free PS, 
PS Plus game for it. Right coming. after you bought it? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't care. I'd be like, dope. A lot of other people get to play the game now. It's yeah. one of those things that, like, dang it. Because, you, you know, PC, you can have unlimited server space. Yep. You can have fit up to 50 people come play with you. Oh, I one, did not know that. In one world. Um, I wish that that was the case for, like, PlayStation. Because it seems like four is starting to be the, 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 the we need a higher limit of four people. We need maybe eight. Like, yeah. Destiny needs eight people. The four needs eight people. Yeah. Uh, next thing up, Dreams has released the PSVR support update that lets you create content that can be viewed, experienced, or played in VR. Uh, the update comes alongside a sale for the game, which is a smart move. I love that games are kind of taking this in the idea now of like, hey, when we come with an update, we should also have a sale. Now, they can only work in games that have free updates like No Man's Sky because like the moment that Destiny is like, hey, we have an update, it's like, well, that update is also a bunch of new content and you got to spend $60. Or, not always 60 Whatever. You know what I mean. The yeah. bigger expansions are 60. The smaller ones are like 35 to 40, typically. Um, though I, do, I will give them the credit of their pricing has been much more interesting, fluctuating, and I feel like they're doing it in a way where it's based off of the content because I thought it was cool that Shadowkeep is like $35. It's kind of a weird, like $34.99. It's like, that's weird. You think that they just bump it to 40 but maybe they just feel like that extra $5 would push it out of what they feel is comfortable for the amount of content you get. Yeah. And regardless of how I feel about it, I like that there's because they're not give, tied to Activision, they could just be like, "We want this to be thirty bucks, so we're going to do it for thirty dollars." Um, that's cool. Uh, anyway, for Dreams, uh, all the old content will be marked non-VR, though apparently tools to change and support the VR mode are available and very easy to implement. So that's cool. I like that. This is a good push for the game, and you know, Dreams is interesting. It's gotten a ton of it's gotten a ton of attention. And it actually, it sold pretty well, despite being developed forever. But it's a cool idea, and I really hope to see it move forward with PS5 and be even better. And I'm going to say some blasphemy here. I already know it. But I really love the idea of Dreams moving, as they've even said. Though, I'm fine with either way. But it'd be really cool because of what the promise of Dream is, which is just for people to make games. If they can find a way to have it be where you can make games and that this game is supported, where you can go buy it on PC, buy it on Xbox, make games, and everybody from every platform can play all these same games. Yeah, connect it. Yeah, I think PC would have to be the one that are the most comfortable with pulling back from what could be possible because they have unlimited storage space and potential for unlimited RAM increases and potential for unlimited, you know, it's, it's just the everything that you have going game. on. Yeah, you're going to have to get to a point on PC where you're comfortable with the fact that you're not going to be able to play this game in 4K because why does it matter? Instead of them having to try and worry about or whatever it be, if it goes to PS5, it could be 4K, but whatever it be, maybe maybe not every game can be 120 frames per second. Whatever it is, it'd just be cool to give the widest platform possible to this game. If this was something more akin to Little Big Planet, where it's more about making levels and small mini games within a basic tool set that stays and it's still really more of an actual game that has a story like Little Big Planet 3 or 2 or 1 is. If it was more like that or even Mod Nation Racers, I'd be fine with it staying exclusive and I'm still fine with this staying exclusive. But if you're a real promise of your game, this game has a, the shortest storyline in the world and it's fine, but clearly the selling point of this game is a creation suite. I think that based on the nature of this game, is that if you don't have an interest in playing this game at all, because you don't have an interest in playing game or making games, mm -hmm. I think that what they could do to make this is in the same vein of what you're saying is also allow people to download Dreams for free, pay. The, so Dreams is a free portal that you download. You can then yeah. pay for the creator suite if you want to create games, or 
you can go and look up games that you can try for free. If you end up spending them X amount of time on these games that people have made, then you can go into buying the full game. Because think about it this way: if if I don't, I, I have no interest in making my own game. Mm-hmm. But some of these games look cool. I'm not paying. Was it thirty dollars or forty dollars for Dreams, or is it sixty? Uh, no, it came out at forty. I'm, okay, I'm yeah, not paying forty dollars to try out one game that looks kind of cool. That, yeah. that's not even a real like full on game. Yeah, some of them are, but not you know in this scenario. It could yeah, be. It's, it's it's still early days. That's part of it. Yeah, you know? and it'd be more interesting to seem to make a portal uh, for this game on the PlayStation that you could go to. Then you could actually go through and browse for free people's creations and trailers and screenshots, and that actually might motivate you to buy the actual game so that you can. View it. Split the game in two. Split the game to where you can download it and try it for free. Try a game or two. Uh, whatever it be. Maybe maybe they let you play five user creations to their full extent. Just to kind of get an idea of what it is. And maybe even do it curated. That way you know it's the best games to show people. So you can be like, this is the way it goes. No, not That's th- a little weird because you may not be interested in the games that are curated. Not but. only that, but it's, it's also that you may get games that are higher quality than other games that you'll play. True, so it's kind of like false advertising. Yeah, like you, like it's kind of like what Roku did, or not Roku, um, or uh, the Ouya. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like it showed you really cool games, and you're like, those three games are really cool, but these 600 other games that came in this thing is trash. Uh, but still, going back to the idea, I think the way to do it, and it might have been even what you were saying, and I just missed this half of it, but still have it to where you can buy the creation suite, but also have it to where you can buy. So if you have literally no interest in creating in the game, you uh, you can try the game out, play a couple of games. And if you want to continue to be able to have the ability to play games, you spend $20. And if you want to be able to be able to make games, you spend 20 more dollars. That could work. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you break it down to like a creator suite and a player suite. Yeah. But up until then, like I'm not paying $40 to try out some creations that people have made. I'll just look at them on YouTube. No, I think that's fair. And I still think the big promise of this game would be to eventually have Sony and, and them realize it's going to take a little bit to where they have great showcases. And they do already, but you're gonna, you want to have really great showcases. It's a weird thing, but I could really see this being the way that people bring episodic gaming to a very different sense. If you can have it to where, again, you can monetize your own creations within Dreams and then have it to where you and a group can create. Because, of course, you have a thermometer in Dreams, and if you fill it up, you're kind of done. You can't keep going. Yeah, I assume on PS5 that thermometer would be bigger. Um but regardless, when you're looking at that, I think the best thing for you to do is be able to create an experience that goes all the way through what you want within that thermometer or that level, and that would be episode one of your game. Then you can come and say episode two of my game is going to come two months later, three months later, whatever it is, and then we can, can kind of continue on. And it would be a really great way to bring episodic gaming to the to normal creators. That way... People can feel like they're creating games and full games over time and being able to release them and get feedback, potentially money, if they if they can monetize them. Let's say that a game like Life is Strange comes out on Dreams and you can spend $5 per episode and there's going to be five episodes. By the time you're done, you spent $25 on the game and it's up to you to continually buy every episode. If you don't like it, you can stop playing it and stop buying it. Yeah, That would just be a really cool future and it may get you into some – it may get you playing – creations and getting into people's minds without having to worry about the PlayStation store so much. It's just having a storefront that's essentially the dream storefront. You download it if you have interest in it and you can pay for any game that's on there and play it. That's true. That's, that's end goal games right there. Yeah, man. Crazy in game goals, crazy end game goals for that would be end goal games. Yeah. Would be the ability to add trophies, but that's just a, 
It's waters that I get would be way harder to do. All right, next up, uh, for those who are keen to see some uninterrupted, uninterrupted gameplay for the new Crash game, a lot of outlets were given time with a demo of the game, and you can get a good look at the game to see how it stacks up against your expectations or your hopes uh, ahead of that game's October release. I wish we would have been one of the people to get it, just because I have this weird thing where, like, even seeing the gameplay, I don't know if you saw it, it, really it goes. It goes back to that thing. Yeah, I didn't know how much you loved Crash. I know you liked it. And I like Crash enough, but yeah. not enough to care about like a new new game like this. So it kind of looks like Crash, and they're doing a lot to stay more within the idea of what a Crash game is. Doing sections that are kind of linear and platform heavy and making sense without doing. Later Crash games got way too focused on we're going to have an open world and then you're going to have platforming sections within that open world. Well, that's not what Crash is about. I'm not saying that those type of games can work. It's just. That's not how you it, know Crash. Yeah, I mean, it, it's weird because I guess technically Mario made the jump to a game that's essentially just a bunch of open worlds. I mean, Mario Odyssey is essentially just a bunch of, I want to say open worlds. Let's say that Crash tried doing open hubs. Well, I'll say Mario's a bad example because Mario has ver- has changed varieties of gameplay millions Many of times. times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and successfully. Yeah. <laughs> but also because they had, for the most part, one company working with it. The problem with games like Crash is that it went from Sony really being the people working with them and kind of going with one set of developers, moving to a new developer under a new publisher, and then doing that again, and then then again. again. So eh, it is where it's at here, but um, either way, if you're interested in it, go check it out. I'm a little worried that the game is just trying too hard to be original Crash, and they're going to focus too much on designing something that's just trying to pull your nostalgia by being just similar enough but if they don't ride that line just right, it's just going to feel like uh, what, poo butter. What do they call it? Uh, it's going to feel derivative in a bad way, where you're just playing. And you're like, all they're trying to do is pull on my nostalgia strings, not with something that's actually good that references the past, but something that's just trying to recreate the exact past so they can get some money out of it. Yeah, I can't think what that's called, but nostalgia bait, I guess. I guess would be a good way to call it. Uh, Next up, for those who liked the Sonic movie, the sequel has been confirmed for April 8th, 2022, (laughs) after the film's massive success, the first one, uh, earning more than $100 in its opening weekend, in case you didn't know that. It's very impressive. Uh, For me, we were talking the other day on The Forest. I think that Sonic and this movie, due to Sonic's more flexible story nature and it's more kid-friendly and kind of just funny, goofy vibe that Sonic can give off. It's a far better idea to do this, and it works better than something like the Uncharted movie where they're playing with a lot of fire on something that's way more sculpted. Like, you know, when you play an Uncharted game, it's already a very tight narrative experience with gameplay pulled in. The moment you start trying to pull that, back, like, we're going to make a movie. Well, you can't make a movie that follows the exact storyline of the games because the games are paced to have gameplay between them. So what we're going to yeah. do is instead go in the past, and we're going to show you young Drake, Okay. Like, I'm not against that inherently, but who are you going to have play Young Drake? What situation are you going to put in? Are you going to bring all the characters in? If you are, are you going to even bother about trying to make them similar characters as to what we know and what the story... Like, are you going to do this as an adaptation? Or are you just going to have a character's name and be like, Sully is not actually a an older gentleman. It's Mark Wahlberg. It's Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> um, I don't know. I hear the trees. Oh, man. It's... I'm just, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed the first Sonic movie. It was, it's fun. It's yeah. just a fun movie. And not to say they can't do that with Uncharted. But, they can't do that with Uncharted. But I Uncharted really doubt it. Be, but here's the problem. Like that. And- here's, here's the problem. I think it's going to be fun in the way that an Indiana Jones movie is. 
but they're going to do exactly what we're talking about. Indiana Jones is still fairly campy, but yet serious yeah, in nature. I know. I don't think. I think Sonic but, was always just camp, oh like, no, fun. yeah. But what I'm saying is that Uncharted will be more like Indiana Jones, and the problem is it's going to feel like nostalgia bait if they don't hit it just right. It's going to feel like you're trying to make something that, due to the medium being the same as Indiana Jones. Is going to end up feeling like all you did was try to sell me Indiana Jones in a different package that wasn't as good as Indiana Jones. So you're showing me Uncharted that looks like Indiana Jones that feels like Laura Croft's Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie from 2001. <laughs> if that's how that actually plays out, that's going to be really interesting. Considering that we don't even have a, any form of anything in regards to the movie, who knows? Uh, next up. Uh, more info on Godfall has come by way of an interview with technical producer Richard Hain, Haney, maybe. Uh, often described, uh, even by us, as to what looks like a melee-centric version of something more akin to Destiny or Warframe, the game is apparently different. So first of all, they're saying no microtransactions will exist within this game, which is good. That is good. Uh, they also do not view it as a games-as-a-service like Destiny, Warframe, or The Division, which makes me personally believe that it's going to be more like what Monster Hunter World's developers were saying going into it, which is that they do have plans for supporting the game for a couple of years after, but they don't view it as a game that's going to get content for the next five to ten years. Uh, going as far back in that time, there was an interview uh, with the creator of or the, the the director for that, where he said games as a service is not. He didn't even really know what it meant. They were like, what? And they had to describe to him what it was. He goes, yeah, that's not really a thing in Japan right now and probably won't be. Uh, and I think that makes sense. Japanese culture is so different and gaming is so different already in their sector of the world that trying to do something that... Games as a service is really hard for them because they love handheld stuff. Yeah. You're not always going to have a, a good internet connection, which is required for something like that. You're not going to always have the things that make that work. So Japan really sticks with a, mu a lot more of... Single-player games or multiplayer games that primarily use ad hoc as their sense of, you know, pulling Connection. together. Yeah. So this makes me think it's going to be more like that or maybe even something like Borderlands because every Borderlands game gets about two years of support, a bunch of events that go on, new story stuff that you can do, but then eventually they stop and like, well, now we're going to make another game. Um, so we will see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in it. It looks kind of cool, but at the same time, they used a like they the, the trailers are very cliche looking for a game like this, so it's kind of I want to see more and I want to see an in depth look at it. It's the way they're cut and, yeah. and pulled together like music choice it, and everything. Yeah, like I it, think that if you just if if you would show me an uninterrupted gameplay with without any kind of popular song over it, even that or just commentary. Yeah, just give me commentary for yeah. like the game for like fifteen minutes. Do what you did, definitely considering it's using Unreal Engine. Do what you did with Unreal Engine Five. Just play, yeah. the, just play the game and kind of talk about it. Yeah. And, and be like, hey, here's what you do here. And whereas Unreal Engine 5 was about the tech behind it, this you can do it about the mechanics. Well, this, if you do this, and you can get this. And this can be used when you beat the final boss to go into Endgame, which Endgame's going to where it opens up and feels more like what we're going to call a game as a service. What know. game did we get a reveal on that looked really cool, but then we got little information about and then it came out? Well, I said we got little information in the beginning before it came out anthem oh yeah yeah very quick quick very quick snap. announcement very quick release day but then hey here's a delay but here's some gameplay of it that's a cgi trailer you show me that's not gameplay <laughs> and then it comes out and you still have you have like ign or GameSpot or and, and whoever doing like a 15 minute let's let's look video edit but then mm -hmm. that's it then, then nobody else has it and then it comes out and then craps the bed which I guess that matters players. more because Anthem was always intended to be a games as a service. 
Maybe this will fare better with the idea behind developing it just being that there's a stand, there's an actual story campaign that you play and beat, and then the end game is where all the content comes up that you'd really be more likely to do with others. That's true. Which is close. But when you compare it to Destiny or Warframe, you you kind of sullied yourself. Well, there, apparently right? that's what I'm saying. They're saying it's not like that. They're looking at it more like something like. I thought you said it did compare to that. Though. No, they're saying it's not going to be a games as a service, which is no, what well, Destiny and Warframe is. Well, I guess you described it as that then. Yeah, I said originally because me and you. I thought you were saying that he said it was melee centric. I'm no. like Destiny War from away. Like, oh yeah. well, you dug your own grave there. Yeah, no, I agree there. But if they're they're looking at it more like a standalone game that you just can't happen to play with other people. So yeah, that Monster Hunter World then is a pretty good example for that. Yeah, um, though I would argue that Monster Hunter World is if 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 games as a service was typically something like Monster Hunter World, I'd be more into it. I would almost consider Monster Hunter World a games as a service. I would too. But at the same time, most of what it does is free besides when you get like essentially a whole new game, Iceborne, yeah. on top of it, which is not – it's an expansion in that it lets you play, but it's also just a whole new game with a separate platinum and everything. I still need to play that game. I haven't played it yet either. Um, but a good example of that to me is like the problem that you have with games like – Warframe is great because it's free to play, so it really is hard to give any kind of complaint about it. But I think the perfect game that is not free to play that is kind of a, a good tie into this but also feels like the best example of something that at least brushes against games of the service is No Man's Sky. Yeah. Because it's a game that constantly adds tons, which makes it feel like a service game. Yeah, but then but you don't you pay for it. But you never pay anything again. Sea yeah. of Thieves is another example of that, but Sea of Thieves is a game as a service. It's like It's the whole point of the game. It was made with the idea of we're going to continuously go on and be always know. online. So I don't know. That's one of those weird, like, you get a, the genre of describing things. And it gets hard to actually say because yeah. it almost comes down to like, what was the intent of the developer? Was the intent of the developer like calling, to be a game to the like service? Like arguing about Destiny being an MMO. Like, I guess finally now it's an MMO, but that's it's not a traditional MMO really. It's it, weird. It's, it's not, but I would argue that because of what they said, going back to that, whenever they finally kind of got to say, hey, this is what we've always wanted the game to be, an MMO, I was like, ah. So they, the developer's intent was always for it to be an MMO, but essentially Activision never, didn't want them to say that. Yeah. So, uh, next up, Ubisoft have announced that the next Ubisoft Forward event will be in September, adding that the publisher has, quote, a lot to showcase in the coming months, end quote. So, if you're looking for a deeper dive into some of the games that we saw at this most recent showcase, I'd imagine you're going to see those there. Maybe gameplay on Far Cry 6, considering it's not that far away um, in the real thing. But also, I imagine this may be where we'll see a potential announcement of some new games, as well as a re-reveal of some games that we already heard about that have gone into hiding, like Skull and Bones or Gods and Monsters. So Ubisoft is the one developer slash team slash game studio for me that has the least exciting games in the world. Honestly, and I know that this is going to sound controversial, but me too. I do not. I agree. <laughs> I, I cannot tell you the last time I was excited for a Ubisoft game that was not Far Cry 5, but before that, yeah. I couldn't tell you what it is. Yeah, uh, like I've played a few of them, and they're like, they're okay. But it's like, people are like, I'm so hyped on Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Eh? Yeah, I'm like... I'm so hyped on Watch Dogs Legion. Eh? <laughs> I wasn't a fan of Watch Dogs 2. I thought Watch Dogs 2 was garbage compared to the first Watch Dogs game. See, that's crazy, because that, those... and and. I guess it depends. If you liked Watch Dogs 1, the moment that Watch Dogs 2 comes... I didn't like Watch Dogs 1. That's the sad part. <laughs> there was one aspect of Watch Dogs 1 that I liked, and that was the multiplayer. I remember. The multiplayer is still, to this day, one of the coolest multiplayer game modes <laughs> ever. But the, the idea behind Watch Dogs 2 seems to be, definitely from everyone I've talked to, let's make the exact not Watch Dogs 1. 
let's change the tone of everything. Instead of being over serious, we're going to have it zany and fun. What kills me about Instead that? Instead of being dark and, and ominous, we're going to make it colorful. And I bright. guarantee you, the the people who are like forty years old who helped write Watch Dogs one of the same people who wrote Watch Dogs two, and it really shows. Probably because it's like they they try way too hard with that writing in that game, where <laughs> it almost feels like it's Saints Row, but you know they're not. You being know because it's Ubisoft. You know they're not trying to be funny. They're being serious with yeah. this writing. <laughs> Sorry, Kiki, I know you're playing the game. You probably hate me for that take, but it's bad. It's bad. I think Ubisoft really – it's funny. I used to have a lot of you know love for Ubisoft. They had a lot of interesting games, and some of my favorite games ever, like 2008 Prince of Persia, I love that game so much. That's a different Ubisoft. But that's a whole – a, that was before Ubisoft had every one of their games being the exact same. Yeah. And, again, I, I don't mean that in a completely pejorative way, but I kind of do because it's what makes me disinterested in their games. doesn't mean I'm not excited thing. about Far Cry 6, but if I'm being honest with myself, the excitement for Far Cry 6 is not because of it being – okay, if, if you showed me exactly what I just saw from Far Cry 6, but Far Cry wasn't already – let's just say this was called something entirely different – had nothing to do with Far Cry, and I just saw it, my excitement wouldn't be the same. The only reason I'm even moderately excited is because I loved Far Cry from a long time ago when it was interesting. If you told me... I and mean, now it's tying that into the potential that it's a Far Cry 3 tie-in. It's like all that hype is wrapped up in nostalgia. Which could not even be the, in the thing. Like the, It could be in a, in a, being not that at all. Yeah. But you know what's funny? If I, ate, if I had Meatloaf Monday and I ate Meatloaf every Monday night for 20 years... Do you think by year 10 I'd still be excited for Meatloaf Monday? No, because it's the same thing every single Monday. Assassin's Creed was the – it's crazy because I know it was like their big game that made them put uh, Prince of Persia to the side and as well as a bunch of their other games. And really for a long time, I think Rainbow Six got put aside. I really but wish Assassin's Creed – I wish they would invest into something else. That's the problem is Assassin's Creed is what set the idea of the Ubisoft game. Towers? Clearing maps? Free roam? Free roam? Open worlds, technically, and that's that was the beginning of me. Like, okay, it's for as much crap as I give EA. I actually think that EA does a really good job of at least trying to make all their games, besides the sports ones, different. Like, at least try. It's like that's why with EA you can have Mass Effect Andromeda, and then have Madden, uh, Madden and then you can also have Star Wars, Star Wars um, Battlefront Two, and then NBA, and 2K then 20. NBA. Yeah, well, you have enough to make them feel different. And I think one of the only games that's actually felt super different from me in a long time for Ubisoft, and I didn't even play it, but I at least will give it the credit that it looked unique, uh, is uh, For Honor. I actually did play a little bit of For Honor. It's not a bad game at all. It is yeah. actually fairly different from what everything else is. I would say For Honor and Rainbow Six are the two that stick yeah, out. Yeah, Rainbow Six, I'll give them credit coming back to that too because that's a very the way it was structured was unique. Yeah, th- those two games stick out, but everything else just feels samey. Yeah. All right. So the last thing up that we're going to talk about, of course, we kind of have to just because it's one of those things. Uh, Xbox's July showcase brought with it some reveals of games that will also see light of day on other consoles, but gives us a good look at what they are trying to do with the Series X, or at least that's what they look to be their intent with. Uh, So games that are going to be coming to other systems, including PS4, is going to be like Square Enix's Balan Wonderland or Wonderworld rather which comes from the original creator of Sonic the Hedgehog uh, and one of the big forces behind Nights in the Dreams and looks a lot like Nights in the Dreams actually uh, other games that are coming over is like The Medium uh, which will be coming to PS5 after console launch exclusivity on Series X I imagine in a year maybe a little bit less uh, also The Medium looks tight the medium looks really good, and it looks like it's doing one of my favorite sections. What's the medium again? Because there's two games. The medium is the one that it had that kind of survival horror aspect to it, but it's rendering the two worlds at the same time. Yeah, because the medium and then the uh, the, well, the game looks like a tall tale game. 
I don't know what it was, but like the image is like the girl on one side of like a floral reef and then the boy and then there's something in the middle. Okay. Um, it's from Don't Nod and I can't remember it. Tell me why. Is that what it's called? Uh, I think because it is an episodic game, if I'm not mistaken. It is. It is an episodic. Yeah, that's it. Tell me why, right? Don't Nod's actually getting there. Some of their graphical qualities improved quite a bit. Yeah. No, Don't, don't Nod's killing it. And actually, I hope that they continue to do different games, though, because I would love to see them come back to something like Vampire, which is a lot different. Or even Remember Me, which is very combat-driven in a very different way. Um, but uh, with that said, uh, one of my favorite things about the medium whenever I was watching it was like, first of all, this is, this is the SSD in action from both systems. This is what you can do with an SSD that you can't do. This game couldn't exist in its full-on shape on PS4. It doesn't without mean that we lo- haven't seen examples of it. Without a loading screen of some sort. Yeah. Now, we've seen examples of it this generation on much smaller levels, and in t- tight, which I understand, and it's been really cool. Both games I've loved for this. Uh, you didn't play Dishonored 2, but there's a part in Dishonored 2 where you can hit a button because you're holding this artifact, and it's, a, it's enti- inside of an entire mansion, and you can flip between present time and the past. That's cool. And you see the the mansion, and there's no load window between them, and they're com- they're rendered twice completely differently. That's really cool. So when you're loading through and flipping through it, you can use it for like puzzle solving to platform around something. And then another game that had it, which you did play, Titanfall 2. When you're running, and there's those parts where you're in the base, <laughs> and you have to wall run, but there's flames everywhere. So what you have to do is flip never, to the past. I never played the campaign. Oh, you didn't? Mm-mm. Ah. Dude, those are two of the coolest examples of exactly that. No load screen between them, flipping between the same thing, which is what the medium's doing. The same world rendered twice, but entirely different. That's what they're doing here. That actually sounds really cool in Dishonored, too. Yeah, it's it's awesome. So this taking one of my favorite sections of... Isn't that one that, of the games this month for free? Dishonored 2? No, I got added a PS Now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's also really, really, really good. God, so good. I love that game. I've been debating replaying it lately. Uh, but there's that. So outside of that, uh, there's of course Dragon Age, uh, Dragon Quest, rather Dragon Quest 11 S coming to Xbox and PlayStation as a port of the Switch version, which to me is a really dumb choice. I know why they're doing it because they finished the game. This goes back to something else. Almost everyone who's played the game on PS4 said the game felt unfinished on PS4. Dragon Quest Eleven, and it came way later on Switch, where they actually finished it. I always heard Switch was a definitive version, but I, I thought that's because that's what it was. Yeah, it, it's it, it's the definitive version because the game came later and got to be finished. Of course, it has all the other cool things like being able to render the game and uh, the uh, the other mode where you can see like what the gr- classic graphics. Yeah, would the, look the like. eight bit mode or whatever. Yeah. I will say that from that game, and I played a good fair amount about that game, and I intend on getting back to it once I ever get a Switch eventually. The game's really good. Yeah. So my problem here is that you're porting a far inferior version of the game to well, the PS5. And I think the all they're doing is, I think all they're doing is uh, downscaling it for the Switch. That that art style, that cell shadedness is it's really what sells it, thankfully. Yeah. And they did say the resolution and the frame rate. They, they said the graphics are different. That's weird. I don't know what they mean by that. But they said that you can at least expect the resolution and frame rate to be at least as good as the original release on PS4. Yeah. But here's, the, here's where it gets bad. And I actually do think this is bad. The game has to be completely repurchased for existing owners of the game on PlayStation to be able to play the differences. You cannot upgrade the game. There is no discount if you already own the game. None of that exists. And the problem with that is because of the fact that the game launched in a way Donovan was playing it, and he literally couldn't get past the thing because the game would crash almost every time. 
uh, it was either crash or it would, it would come into a load loop that would never be able to solve and you just couldn't do it. And he finally looked up some stuff that people saw and there was a way that if you did something just in the right timing, it would kind of trick the game into moving forward. Um, but there's apparently a lot of those parts in the game. Wow. And my problem with that is if you already launch a pretty rough version of a game, then you come back later and say, here's a definitive version for you to do nothing at all to even remotely try and be like, Hey, here's first kind of the fact that we released a game. Cause the thing is the game performed really well. It I was wonder, a surprise. I wonder if that's because of Square, Square Enix. I think it is. And even if it is, it's, it's just, it's bad. A good example of how you can do these things, which is just good customer facing. And I think every, co- every company should be doing that right now. Definitely considering what's going on. This is a good time to just nail PR. Uh, but it'd be like whenever Sony did the last of us for PS4, uh, if you had the last of us for PS3 and you could prove that you had it physical, I think even if you had it digitally, they knew you could upgrade your PS3 version essentially. And you'd get the PS4 version without having to pay $60 again. I think you get it for 40 or 30. To be fair though, like I don't know about the brokenness of the game, but persona five didn't do that because persona five real came out, but it's an, it's an entirely different game. Uh, okay, I shouldn't say that, but, I it, but say it really entirely. is. There's completely new characters put in. They've changed the way See, the leveling I don't systems know the, and stuff work. I don't know the difference between the definitive version yeah. of S and, and... Essentially finished with extra content, but the pro, the thing about... There's completely new characters and storylines and sub-things where it's... Persona 5 is kind of like... Royal is, from what I'm understanding, it's kind of like if you took Persona 5's story as inspiration and then just built a bunch of stuff on top of it and also scaled back certain areas to where they felt yeah. better. So some of that part... And that stuff took there's a, a ton time. of graphical improvements. I mean, just a ton. Because uh, yeah, you got to think, know. Persona 5 came out at the beginning of the generation, pretty close, 2014, 2015. Uh, I think it was early huh? 2015, right? 2016, I thought. Let's see. I was say, you uh, might be right, but the reason I the reason I question that is because Persona 5 2016, you're right. Uh cuz it came out PS3, but because of Japan, that's why. What if it came out did it, did it come out in Japan in 2016? No, it just came out in general in 2016, I think. Oh. Actually, you know what? Let me see. I was going to say April 2017. 2017. I was like, no, nah, you, for, you said for, first for here. For yeah, here, I was gonna yeah. say when you when you said first the gen, I was like, no, wait a second. Yeah, no, you're you're right. It's in Japan, but even then, it's, it's so I guess it's mid gen. But the fact that it was a but game cross gen too. It was cross gen. So clearly, the game was held back by that. Yeah, which um, I, in my opinion, I get why, but they shouldn't have made that cross gen. Oh, it's because Japan is their bigger market. <laughs> PS3 is their, yeah, one of their saviors. So, um, I, do, I do think this is an interesting community state question. Well, and it's kind of based off this. So I guess the best thing to say here is just kind of give a, a, a point to where we stand on what Xbox is doing. And I have uh, some thoughts on this because we've said, it, we've said it a few times on what we think Microsoft's doing, but then I think Microsoft will sometimes do the thing where they say one thing, but then their actions clearly look like something else. Well, that's that, Yeah, that's um, kind of the... the, the theme lately yeah so you know microsoft was said that playstation wasn't their competitor um months ago they said that they viewed different things like uh, i can't remember what they said their competitors were but it was all pc centric things it was yeah it was like steam um and nvidia g now geforce now yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so when you look at all that going on, and they say, well, we don't really view Sony as a competitor, but then not even like a week or two ago, or right after, rather, Sony's, I know it was pretty close to Sony's Speaking thing. Which. Uh, Phil Spencer says in an interview that after seeing Sony's showcase, like he gave them props for doing something that was professional and everything, but he said after seeing Sony's showcase, uh, 
I, I feel good because I feel like the power advantage of our system is going to come through a lot. You don't that that's a you're saying that as if you're a, if you're in competition with someone, and then when you look at what's going on here, there's kind of a tale of two things where this is leaning back more towards them showing where their differences are and that they almost want this to look more like every game that was announced at that thing is going to be available day one on Games Pass. So a lot of this is about how Series X is going to primarily lean on Games Pass. Here's the problems I have with what they chose to do. Most of what they've shown that interested me, uh, definitely from themselves, like the medium's cool, but it's a, it's a partnership thing, and that's great. But of their first party, most of what we, see, what, most of what we saw was just CGI renders, sometimes that would give you an idea of what you think the gameplay is going to look like. I, th- like. I think Avowed, for as short and clearly CGI as it was, I think that that last little bit where it went to like the little the combat sword. sequence where yeah. you see the sword <laughs> and the magic in the hand, I was like, they're That's- trying to show you that this is going to be something that for most gamers they'll view as like, okay, this is a, a, a this is going to be a Oblivion or Skyrim type first person RPG. Yeah, That's all you really need to know. That's why it's easy for Obsidian to say, hey, we're making the Outer Worlds to make it easy on you. It's essentially like if you took Bioshock and Fallout and just kind of slapped them together. You know, there's still a game <clears throat> that has not come out yet that we saw like three years ago that's, that, that's close to that. I can't think what it is now. You just said that. It reminded me. There's a, tra- like a, a, yep. a derailed train in the trailer. I, I don't Atomic know something? Atomic Heart. Atomic Heart. Then there's another one that we saw from Sony two years ago, too. That was the Witch game. Yep. That wasn't from Sony, but we saw it at Sony's thing. Well, it looked I mean. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? What was that? What was that one called? Witch fire yeah and it had first person shooting elements to it It looks really good uh but yeah dang dang you for reminding me of those two games yeah there's there's another cool one and the problem is that you get so hyped in these games and then it's the problem with gaming right now we keep talking about showing stuff way too early and that's what it feels like is that you show you way too early where you almost forget about it um and i guess here's my thing i think most of what xbox showed was all right it's fine and i think that they gave a lot of reasons for people who like what xbox does Reason to keep doing it. For people who love Games Pass, it's a great deal. Seeing everything they're doing and hearing that day one is all coming, that's awesome. I personally feel like the worst example of the whole showcase, which sucks because it was the only thing that kind of really interested me because it was so interesting and how they were choosing to show it off, but then you come to learn that they have no idea what it even is, was Everwild. So Everwild got this really kind of more lengthy CGI trailer where you see a bunch of characters messing with these animals and doing stuff, and you're kind of like, this looks cool, and it looks like they've got the world figured out, but the problem with the trailer is it doesn't tell me what type of game this is going to be at all. Then comes to find out, oh, they don't even know. Rare has no clue what the game is actually going to be. They're still trying to figure that Project out. Project Athia again. And that's what Working I was title. Everwild mm. is exactly to me what Project Athia was for PlayStation 5's reveal, which is something that was shown way too early that while it looked cool in and of itself, it doesn't. it's not indicative of anything. Yeah. So the problem with that comes down is like, well, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Why are you trying to get me hyped on something that I don't know? And it's even harder when it's new IP like these. Like, I was really let down by the Fable thing. Partially because of just how short the little CGI trailer was. But the part that really kind of bummed me out was that they didn't even make an attempt to try and show you through the CGI a basic idea of what they are thinking this game will play and look like. Now, because it is part of the Fable IP, you have the ability to kind of go, I know what Fable is, so you would hope that it's going to be somewhat close to that. And I think they're leaning a little too much on that. 
but I do feel like this was a. It's weird because it was a better showcase. It was a. It was than the one before. I disagree. I think what we got last time, just in that one game. Um, was, oh, bur- uh, bright memory. Yeah, bright heart memory, whatever that game's yeah. called, or so bright burst memory. There's that game. There's another game that they showed. And I'm like, yes. Bright Memory Infinite. Yeah, something like that. It's yeah. almost weird, but um, but yeah, like they did show, and I'm super pumped for Avowed. I'm super pumped to know that there is a Fable being worked on. <clears throat> we just don't know when we'll play it. Well, like Bright Memory is a good example. I'm pretty sure all of that trailer was CG, but it was CG that was like, this no, actually, is what it's going to look like. Actually, right? what's crazy is no. Was it not? Have you seen gameplay of that? You could actually have that game early access on Steam, and it looks the same. Really? Yeah, like. I forget what. Oh, here goes GDC gameplay right here. I didn't know that was at GDC. But uh, yeah, like I was watching a streamer for it, and it looks very similar to high NPC. Yeah, that looks good. Also, you know when people keep talking about style, this is a game. That's where, style. This is style. Yes. And the thing is, is that this still looks great. First of all, but this has got a sense of style to it, to where regardless of the fact that it looks. It does kind of look hyper real, but it really doesn't. It, it looks it, like a CGI trailer. It looks hyper stylized. Yeah. Uh, and that's cool. Uh, but this leads us to the discussion about style. This leads us to what I think was kept trying to be the biggest lean. And I'm glad that a lot of people look like they are loving it. Halo was a very odd show to me. Yeah, Halo was not good. Um, they, and that's, that's interesting because for people who may have not listened to this show very long, Saul is a hell of a Halo fan. Yes. Uh, well, up until Halo Five and yeah. Six, yeah, which is this. Um, but you were somebody who, before when it was just a cinematic, you were like Halo Infinite looks pretty cool. Now, yeah. that you, now that you're seeing it in game, well, that's the thing is that like the cinematic, it had you to believe that they they actually improved the textures of the game. Where Halo Five was flat textures everywhere. I've often compared Halo Five to an Unreal Engine game from 2006. The way it looks, yeah, it looks like garbage. And I don't care about the multiplayer nearly as much as I want to finish the story up of this game. They're not going to nail the multiplayer that Bungie did. They're never going to hit the apex of that, which is, in my opinion, Halo 3. So I don't care about that. I care about the single-player story. And it's it's very, very apparent to me now that they don't know what they're doing with it. And there's stuff in this trailer that made no sense to me. And regarding the story, regarding what I know about Halo 5 and Halo 5 story, I've tried like twice now. Couldn't even get past two hours of that game because they had to make it. I feel like they took, they had no ideas. 343 went into this with no ideas at all. And they were like, you know what? The books are a good base to start out on. So what they did was they took the Fall of Reach and then they made Reach. And then in the Fall of Reach book, you have the characters like Kelly, Fred, George. Well, and- Reach was Bungie, just to... But but three four three assisted development. Well, that's what I'm saying is yeah. that but they took Reach and they made the story and characters because all those characters you play with like Buck and all those those are real characters from the books. Yeah, I think they took what Bungie had they the, the last thing they made which was Reach and it was only Bungie did not fully develop Reach either. Three four three helped them with yeah, that. Yeah, it was assisted development um, as like a hey, this is how you're going to get your feet wet. I think that that once they had that, they they had no other idea where to go. So that that's why they brought the characters from the books back, which I think a lot majority of people agree they should be dead. They shouldn't be in these games, and but they're in the games, and I don't I don't like it. Um, well, and so 
this is for an outsider opinion on Halo, right? And this is kind of an interesting thing for me. So I guess the thing to say is that for the people who really loved it, a lot of what I keep seeing as the the go-to why people loved it was that it gave them feelings of Halo 1, which clearly what they chose to show was trying to be like big open fields like so Halo 1. So I definitely got some nostalgia vibes from the game. There's certainly times in which like you get to the top of the elevator and then the, the music swelled up. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, you're like, that was really cool. But then when you really think about it, you're like, why would the music pop up there like that in that scene? It's, oh, because this is a marketing thing. This is a trailer. Yeah. Uh, well, and maybe. Maybe it's in the game that way, but you don't. they don't want to show too much. It's, I, it's hard to say. I, I don't say why, though, because it didn't show anything of relevance or surprising factor at all to, to make the music swell. I was wondering if they were doing that because I was like, now you're at the top of the elevator and you can see the scope of this whole open world. Uh, yeah, like, to which, me, it just, I don't think that the Halo should be games of the service, which they clearly made it. I don't think that it should be open world, which they clearly really made it i i think that there are there are, like doom doom is a fantastic example of <laughs> sticking to his roots but in a very new way yeah someone actually said that the problem with halo is that it, the new halo is that it looks like it's trying to be discount doom and the problem with introducing the the grapple hook and some of this stuff is that you're opening these these comparisons to yourself by doing things that are similar to the yeah. to the game. Yeah, you, um, I think that I think three four three is out of out of stories. I, I think that they're out of they're out of time and they're out of ideas and they're just banking on the fact that like well you guys like the multiplayer from Halo Five yeah so we're just going to bring back the multiplayer. I often see people say the Halo Five multiplayer and, and is my, fun. And in my opinion, Halo Five multiplayer is the worst multiplayer of almost any current console first person shooter. So I'm going to go back to my experience with Halo is pretty weird. I've played every Halo, including five. I did not beat five, much like you. Uh, I just kind of played it. and was like, yeah, this is underwhelming. So I just stopped. Uh, I don't have this crazy love for Halo. Never have. I've had, I have fun memories with Halo. I have memories of playing Halo 2's deathmatch, uh, you know, team deathmatch with a group of friends. And it's the game is fun but the reason i have the good memories is because of the crazy people i was playing it with yeah and the fun of the game mixed with the craziness of the people not about the game itself yeah though. like the game is fine i played halo one the story's fine i don't just love it like everyone else does it's good fine uh and it's a decently fun game i i could see why people would say that it revolutionized first person shooters I, I think it's for fair. consoles yeah for consoles so going to halo 2 i think halo 2 has a better story and i was more interested in it halo had a big jump Technically speaking, it looked like a much better game. And I think that the performance that ideas they did, I was like, okay, cool. Halo 3 came and it leaned into all the things that I just don't care enough about in Halo to where I beat the story. But because I don't have this attachment to Master Chief, everything kind of fell flat for me because yeah. I don't care. And that's, I mean, I get that it's because of the way I. I just don't have the interest. The fact that I'm playing them that way. Is well, a lot that, of Halo Three anger came from the fact that they, um, the way they ended that game, they left it on a cliffhanger. Yeah, and you didn't see the resolution for that game for like six years. Yeah, something like that. Seven years, maybe. But yeah, uh, once once Halo Four finally came around, uh, but, and even then, it still didn't solve all the answers people wanted, which is why a lot of people hated Halo Four. I liked Halo Four story. I thought I, Halo Four story was pretty good. Yeah, see, that, and that goes into me. Breach, I played. And I was like, or oh, okay, ODST, I played, and I like ODST from a mechanical foundation. ODST was cool, so much more. And that I think that this kind of gets to the heart of my thing. I get kind of tired of games. There's something about Halo where the jumping feels too floaty. The the shield feels too forgiving. The game doesn't really have any weight to it. Something that's crazy is because you're not a super soldier, when you get me into ODST, suddenly I have to be far more tactical. 
I have to heal myself because I don't have the ability to just auto heal. So I have to find health packs. I like that mechanic in games. I don't mind auto heal, but it feels way too forgiving in Halo to me always. Um, You're not playing on the right difficulties. <laughs> oh, I've played Halo on the hardest difficulties. Oh, I'm telling you, Legendary, their enemies get one shot. Yeah, I played, I played Halo 3. Uh, actually, Halo 3 is the only one I've played. No, I played Halo 4 on Legendary. I Halo, beat Halo 4. Halo on 2 on Legendary is um, redonkulous. But still, going back... Um, it feels uh, either way. I just I don't like the power fantasy from the way they try and do it from a super soldier thing. At least the way they chose to do it because everything feels. And this this will tell you a lot. I love Killzone. One of my biggest loves of Killzone is the fact that it feels grounded and real and weighty. Not that what the world you're in is real because clearly it's super sci-fi. But they, they tie you into something by grounding it in a sense that like when you're moving, you feel like a person moving. You feel like when you shoot and aim your gun, you have the weight of the gun affecting you, the recoil of the gun affecting you, the sway of your arm of being unable to hold it still affecting you. I like those types of details. So that's why Halo is always like, it's, my, it's moderately fun. I enjoy it enough, but it's never been this huge series for me. ODST was the first time I was ever like, I kind of really liked that game. And then Reach came. And Reach was a little more similar. It's kind of like it, but it kind of hit both sides where it's like, it feels like if you took three and ODST and kind of met in the middle. The thing with Reach is like the story is really well done, but everything they did to that game gameplay was, it's, was ridiculous. Yeah. So anyway, Beat Reach did not like the multiplayer at all. I hated the way that they chose. It was okay, but I just, uh, yeah. So from there, I was kind of not interested in Halo 4 at all. Ended up getting an Xbox for free at the time, a 360. I thought, I got a system for free. I might as well spend $60 just to see what the big game for the system is right now. So I went and bought it, started playing it, and I was like, oh, man, this is actually really cool. I really like the art style change that they made. And what's crazy, Halo 4 does not look flat. Halo 4 no. doesn't look flat at all. It, it's amazing to me that both Halo 5 and Halo and Infinite both look, and don't get me wrong, it's not, the games are not all about graphics, but clearly they're a way they're a, they're an immediate thing that you can see and go oh, this but when is you pretty have, when you have games like doom that are first person shooters that are solely based on first person shooting and they still look amazing yeah. you have a high bar to be held up to with that yeah and again people kind of pull this uh, art style thing in well halo's always clearly had an art style but the art style for Halo 4 is not even from a hyper-realistic standpoint. It just looks good, even though it's stylized. Starting the with, Prometheans look dope. I like the way that they chose to graphically represent them, and the art style works. Starting with 2 and 3, they definitely tried their hardest with their art styles. Yeah. Because you could tell one was very shiny. It had very shiny textures. And then Halo 2 brought in the dull, but then they were like, they're like, that looks like that has texture to it. Yeah. So for me, four was kind of the apex of the series for me. Really, We're spending I really way too long on Halo. By the way, we are. <laughs> I'm gonna move off on it here in a second. But my thing is, is that I, I agree, and I think a lot of people do that. Even though this may look promising for people that liked Halo One, the problem for Halo's situation is that nobody has ever quite hit the point where they trust three four three with the series. Whereas, and three four three has now had three games. This will be their third game. Whereas the Coalition, which is essentially the exact same situation for Gears as Halo is, Halo was created by a team that eventually moved on and didn't want to do anything with it, so they just went off and did their own thing. So the Coalition's the exact same thing. Microsoft wanted to continue Gears, but Epic had no interest in doing so. So what they do is they buy the, they buy the franchise out, they create a studio to do it, and I think Gears 4 was kind of like hey, we're going to make a game that's so close to what you've played in every other Gears game just so you trust us, and then in Gears 5, we're going to try and push the needle. While I didn't care for either of the games from what I've played, and it's just not a series I've ever just had a ton of love for outside of co-op, which, again, the memories are almost formed because of the experience with someone else, not less because of the game itself. I think what happens is most people trust the Coalition with the Gear series now. 
and they feel like gears feels like gears in the hands of coalition. I've, I've just yet to see people outside of me and blaze people who are not huge halo fans that feel like three, four, three has ever made an actually great halo game. Yeah. And I've, I've met a couple of people and I just didn't agree with anything they said about stuff. They changed. Yeah. Just like, uh, so it, it's kind of like if they had shown breath of the wild for, for the switch and it was just underwhelming. And for most people, it really wasn't. And the, it wasn't as divisive as this seems to be. You either have Halo fans that are absolutely loving it or Halo fans that are like, the showcase was great as a whole, but Halo still looks off. Yeah. And, yeah, we're spending a lot of time on that. Who knows what's going to end up happening here. But I think at the end of the day, what is, looks clear is that while Microsoft <laughs> is putting time and money into these games – it does kind of have that feeling that a lot of people are getting where maybe the games are going to take a hit in quality because they're being made to be games as a service that are meant to be put on Games Pass. And I don't know for sure because it's hard to really look at without being in the industry. But tying back to Ghost of Tsushima, let's say that Ghost of Tsushima does break that 10 million mark that Horizon did, right? This kind of goes by when people are like, well, what if PlayStation were to try and do something that's like Games Pass? I still would never see them putting their first party titles on day one because the thing is, is that you have more motivation to make a really great game that people want to buy flat out, that people want to buy, and that has a chance of passing 10 million units instead of having it to where you have people who are just like, well, the game may have been played 10 million times, but for only $15 a month. And then how do you actually quantify the money you made from that? I'm not saying that it's wrong. I don't know. We don't, we're not in just the back end of that enough. Different kind of service now. But I just think that there is a chance that the people looking at games as a service and looking at games pass as a games as a service wheelhouse do have some kind of fuel for the fire to be like, our game's going to start taking a dive in quality because they're more worried about getting them out and ready for day one and then supporting them over time. Instead of just putting out a game and being like, this is it. Maybe we'll add an expansion or something, but this is really what the game is meant to be. I guess only time will tell. Yeah. So either way, it's interesting to see where they are. No price from either company yet. I'm starting to think that we might see PlayStation actually price theirs first. Ah, we'll see about that. I we'll know. see about it. Uh, it depends on which one of them has a conference next. I feel like out of both of them, the next conference from both of them has to have price. PlayStation's rumored to be August 7th or 9th yeah. or whatever it was. I think so it's we'll August see. 6th or something, but I don't think so. We'll see. I don't, think I don't so. believe any of those ever. Yeah. So with that, I feel like what we see next has got to include price. And I feel like we might even see price before we see release date. Well, we're going to see price before we see release date. That's a given. 100%. We could see them both at the same time. No. People are more curious about the prices right now than the release date. Because we know we're getting them at some point this year. Yeah, it's true. But Wait, did we get a release date for the Xbox Series X? Holiday 2020? I mean, holiday. That's the same as PlayStation. Well, yeah. But, but I'm talking like, about an actual date. Yeah, Like we, November 28th or whatever it be. But we don't know. It could be $300 to $900. Price I, guess, I guess the point. Knowing this year means that you know it's within the next five months. Yeah, you know it's in the next five months. Price, you, you don't even have a guess. You don't know how many decimals are in the price of the next consoles. <laughs> could be one. Though be I don't three. think it's going to be as crazy different. I mean, I... I don't you, know. There's already a precedent know. for 500 for the for the One X. So if all the if, if all the consoles are 500, well, 100, 500 minimal though. Think about well, it. Yeah, the minimum. One X came out. What was it? Like two years ago? Something like that. Yeah. A year and a half ago. 2018. Two years ago then. Yeah. Think about holiday it. holiday 17 actually maybe. So almost three years ago. I don't know. And that's that's a current gen console. So imagine how much the next gen console will cost. 
We will see. All right, community state question is kind of based around that, and it comes from actually Jason Clendenning, if I remember. Uh, he the says, Snow Jedi. Yeah, he says, here's a question. If Sony were to implement a Games Pass-style system for PS5, would you buy less or more titles, which actually ties back into what I was exactly talking about? Yeah. Uh, so it's a good question. And I am curious to see where your answers are, uh, because I think that there are going to be a lot of people who are like me, though not everybody. I am of a thing where if I ever played a game that I just really liked enough on Xbox that I just felt like the team super deserved the money, I would prefer to just outright buy it, because that's direct money. My thing with looking at streaming services is that because of how money's given to you, you can't say for sure that someone got under that streaming service just to play this one game. I've gotten to the point now like where some dev teams deserve that, but most don't. Uh, uh, deserve Well, okay, and I should say, that's why I want demos to come back. Because if you can play a demo of a game and be like, oh, this yeah. looks really good, they do deserve at least for Cause, me to play. Because I'm sure the team that worked behind Dragon Quest VI worked their butt off to make it, or Dragon Quest Eleven, but they worked their butts off to make it, and now look what they did. Yeah. Oh, you're right. So, who knows? We're going to see how that ends up playing out. But... Will you buy more or less titles if PlayStation 5 were to essentially take PS Now and stretch it out? And remember, you guys can watch us every Monday on YouTube at 12 noon Central time. And, of course, 10 a.m. Pacific time. And catch us across all podcast services around the globe. If you find a podcast service and we're not on it, let us know. We'll try to hit that company up and get on it. And if you enjoy the show, give it a like. If you dislike it, give it a dislike. And if you're watching on a podcast service that has reviews... Leave us a review, homie. If you're could watching be, on a podcast service, hit me up on how that happens. Could be three stars. Hey, Apple Apple Podcasts, I think you could watch videos on there. I don't really? know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I've never used it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, leave us feedback. Share it with your friends if you enjoy the show who uh, may be interested in hearing content creators that uh, you like as well. Because you know what? You like what your friends like and vice versa for that. And we appreciate you. I'm going to let Brett leave off this entire show with a spicy spicy exit of all of our Patreon members that we all love and thank. <laughs> Remember, if you want to be part of the community stake, you can always go over to our Discord, which is linked down below. You can find us on the Twitter or the Facebook, Triangle Squared. You can find us any given way. Uh, and we post those so that you can be part of that. But, yeah, a huge thanks to our patrons, Mr. Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Joshua Lago, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Tyler, I mean, sorry, Jason Clendenning, and then lastly, Tyler B., if you would like to become a patron and support the show directly, head over to patreon.com slash nartech and f consider becoming a patron. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>